Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Tour Life. We got a big show for you. The major for the MPO side just went down. Uh, it was just an A tier for FPO, but that doesn't mean it wasn't drama filled. We got extra drama, a little controversy at the uh, throw pink, and we're going to have Holland Hanley joining the show tonight to explain all of what went down. We also have one of the cooler events in disc golf history. I want to say again, I, I I'm not a connoisseur of or historian of disc golf, but the few years I've been in the legend skins match was probably one of the cooler things I got to witness in person and hopefully something that you guys got to, or you guys will get to watch here in the future. And we have Will Shustrick who was a part of the legend skins match and also played in the tournament, uh, USCGC. He will be joining the show as well at the top of the hour. Um, got to talk about Ken Climo, his big, uh, re resurgence into disc golf. He jumped into the booth and man, did he do an incredible job from what I've been hearing from people. Uh, Kyle Klein is apparently really good at Winthrop. Uh, I don't know if that's kind of gone under the radar, but we'll go into that and just how well he's been playing at that course throughout his career. And then Eagle McMahon dropped some surprising off season plans right before the pot. We went live. So we'll, we'll dive into that and talk about that. Yuli without further ado, man, how's it going, brother? It's going good. I mean, uh, still at home. Can't complain. The best two weeks of the season are, are these two weeks, man. Rock Hill, Winthrop University, a few miles down the road, and then just a short little 45-minute drive up to the Pro Tour Championship. So I've been staying in my own house, housing a few people, eating some home-cooked meals. It's been awesome. Yeah, you get to uh, you get to enjoy one more week of disc golf. I am uh, I am in Vegas, back in Vegas for a few weeks here. Um enjoying the beautiful weather that we currently are having here. I got to go to the game this past week, Monday night football. It was against the, uh, wow. I'm blanking on the team. It was, uh, Packers. Who the heck did they just beat Packers. It was the Packers. Yeah. It was about 40% filled with Packer fans. So there was a lot of green, a lot of green and yellow, uh, but we got the job done, got the W first, first win ever in, at the home stadium for me. And the first win from the Raiders at home this season. So it was a big win. Uh, Kelsey was very excited and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Monday night football. We got a big one coming up against the Patriots could get two in a row, could get some momentum going. Watch out Raiders Steelers still trash kind of, but they've won. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand the NFL. I don't, I'm glad I, I am. I'm glad I'm not a, uh, a betting man in the NFL because I feel like that would be very stressful. You'd have no, I, I feel like you'd have no idea what you're betting. It's, you don't, I was, I was actually part of a pick'em league last year that I'm not a part of this year because I finished last place in the pick'em and one week uh, I was playing against the spread one week. I got one, right. One game, right. <laughs> it's, it's tough, dude. It's, it's hard. It is. There's so many coin flips. It's ridiculous. Um, USDGC just went down for this past week, though. Me and Yuli were both there competing. Uh, some might say that Yuli was actually competing and I was just uh, walking the course at times, it felt like. Um, 
did not go well for me. Unfortunately, it had a really poor performance. Yuli, yours, you you did pretty solid, right? It wasn't probably not what you were were hoping for, but you know, it was a respectable showing. No, I was definitely hoping for some late season heroics, but uh I did uh, you know, kind of my usual out there. I told you at the beginning of the week that I have like a game plan that kind of nets me. When I play bad, it's about even to a couple under. When I play good, it's, you know, can can be pretty good. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't play that great. And I ended up shooting nine under for the tournament, which was good enough for 31st place. And anytime these in these tournaments that you can cash, you kind of got to be happy about it. Yeah, this is probably outside of MVP, just because MVPs is much smaller field. So a lot less spots to cash. USCGC has got to be right up there as, you know, one of the top three, if not maybe the second hardest tournament to cash at. So hats off to you for uh, doing that. And you get to play next week in the tour championship because no one dark horse ended up winning and taking your spot. Listen, I love Sullivan Tipton. (laughs) I loved his performance, but I was hoping those grass skips got a little faster (laughs) final day. (laughs) Yeah. For those that don't know what we're talking about, it was unclear. I don't. Did you ever get actual official word from anyone? I just didn't ask. I was hoping that it okay. just wouldn't matter. So, so it's yeah. unclear what would have ended up happening. But in the rules, it does say like Parker Welk, for example, Parker Welk won out at um, DDO. Yep. <clears throat> However, he did not have enough disc golf pro tour points to qualify for the tour championship this weekend. But because he won a tour event slash major, he gets qualified. So even though USDGC was not disc golf pro tour points eligible, like we didn't get any points for playing this major. (coughs) Yuli was nervous because it didn't say that if you won this tournament, you don't get, you know, exempt. And so there was a possibility that someone that was not qualified with enough points Sullivan Tipton was the guy that was kind of up there. If he would have won, Yuli's spot would have got bumped for yeah. Sully. So uh, but, we don't have official word on that, but that no, could have been possible. If somebody wins the U.S. championships yeah. and is not in the yeah. Pro Tour, they deserve the spot to be in there. I I completely agree. That would be wild if you're a major winner yeah. and you're not in the Tour yeah. Championship at the end. Um, some other things that went down on our side at USDGC. We ended up doing our first ever like tour life meetup, I guess you can say, or signing, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. We released the Yuli Dark Horse Buzz, which again, the name is up in the air. You guys can figure out whatever you want to call it. I don't know what it's called yet. There's a bunch of suggestions, but we released that in person, got to meet a lot of you guys. I also got a lot of people throughout the week just coming up to me and telling me how much they love the podcast. So if that was one of you guys, we really do appreciate hearing that. Uh, We put a lot of time into this. And uh, obviously Silas behind the keys as well is a big factor. So uh, from everyone on the Tour Life crew here, we we really appreciate all the support you guys are are showing the show. It means a lot. Absolutely. and then uh, I ate so much. I I don't think I did this last year, and I, I don't know why, but they gave us those. I told you, Yuli, they gave us those little medallion things, which were like $13, I believe, at the food trucks. And I utilized every single penny. I got 
donuts one day. Fantastic. I got a burger, which was one of the better burgers I've ever had. And then I got this like wood fired pizza. That was incredible. Very good. So all the food experiences I had there, did you, did you explore a little bit of the vending, the vending and food? I didn't get a chance, man. The only times that I was there, I was, I was doing the signing with you. I was hanging out at the Discraft booth. And then being that my home is four miles away. Yeah, it's tough. Three miles away. Yeah, I was, I was done and gone. Yeah, it's, it makes it's sense. nice being able to go home. Nice being able to go home. Yeah, I mean, when we don't get to do it very often. So if you're in the backyard, it doesn't really make sense to kind of be hanging out elsewhere when you can be chilling at home. So I agree with you on that. But if you get a chance next year, or if anyone's listening that's planning on going to USDGC next year, you got to check out the food vending. It is absolutely incredible. Um, The Bogey Bros were able to do their preview show on the stage every day before the event. That was very nice, very cool setup. Uh, so yeah, USDGC treated foundation and tour life and everyone involved very nicely. So we appreciate everything, uh, from that. Um, all right, Holland's going to jump on here in about 18 minutes. So we're going to try to see how much we can get through on the MPO side. We honestly might just talk about the legend skin match skins match a little bit, and then save the actual breakdown on the MPO side. Cause I have a lot to talk about there. Uh, after the Holland Hanley interview and after Will Shustrick. And okay. then uh, and then we got a few other topics, obviously, to talk about as well. But let's go into it. We're, you weren't there. I don't think I saw you for the Legend Skins match. Home. You're, you might have been doing like Jomez stuff, actually. Or you might have been home. Um, well, Jomez started at 8.30. So, I w- well, 8.30, you know, 40-minute drive to where I had to go do it. So... I was home for a couple hours. Yeah. Home for a couple of hours after the round. And then I was, I was pretty busy. Gotcha. So I stuck around. I mean, I was pretty much hanging out around the disc craft tent and the foundation tent after my rounds most of the day. Um, And so we all, I mean, that was when I, when they announced that this was going down for those that don't know is Will Schustrick three time USDGC champion, Barry Schultz, I believe won it once. No, I think he's a three Multiple times. Champion. How many? Two or three. Okay. Oh, he's two or three as well. Okay. Sexton won it so. once. Let me make sure. Yeah. Double check. Fact check me on that. Sexton won it once. And then I believe Climo won it five times. Yes. I believe. So they had these multiple winner or in Nate Sexton's, you know, one time winner, but guys that were massive, uh, m- massive legends of the game, if you will. And they got them all together. I don't know how they ended up getting Sexton and uh, Will to agree to play an extra nine holes after the round. Right. But hats off to those guys for uh, agreeing to do it. Cause, or even, you know, Barry wasn't playing in the tournament, I don't think. He was. I don't yeah, think he was. was. Oh, he was too. Yeah. yeah. Dang. So three of the four people were playing in the tournament. My goodness. So, so yeah, hats Barry off to those. 2021, 20. Or 2021, that would have been sick. Uh, 2001, 2003, 2006. Okay, three, three times. Time. Okay, yep. wow. So they had they had two three times, a five time, and then eight sexton has a one time. So they did. They ended up doing nine holes. They did hole one through seven, the triple mando hole. Then they made the walk up to um, 17, 17, 18. 18 I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, they did 17, 18. That's where they end up finishing it. Uh, I was on the grounds. It was by far, it was Friday after lead card had finished. And it was by far the biggest crowd that the tournament had seen up until that point, mainly because there was a lot of big names kind of separated throughout the cards and the tournament. So there wasn't like a massive everyone. And also lead card had a couple like, you know, guys that kind of popped off. So people were kind of sprayed out, but for this, everyone was watching this dialed in. The atmosphere was incredible. There was tons of pros uh, in this, in the fit in the uh, audience as well, watching and a little, like a little kind of take on, on what I saw. The first one I would say is like Ken Climo is you can tell there's a photo of uh, we got a photo here on hole seven of where he's just getting the crowd amped up. Uh, Barry Schultz did the same thing on hole one, but I wanted to just make a point of Ken. Cause when he came on and we interviewed him months ago, he talked about how he wanted to get back into disc golf. And he felt like, you know, he kind of left for a little bit and he wanted to be more present. And you could tell not only was he loving being back out there and being a part of it, but the fans really appreciate seeing him and him being out there. And uh, he was just living in the moment and loved it. Um, and from watching it, I never, I never saw him play in person. I never saw Will play in person either. Really? And so going into it, obviously you have all the stories of Ken Climo and you have all the titles and stuff. Will was uh, a dominant player, but for a much shorter time span. And so I don't hear as much from him uh, other than like, dude, this guy had some of the smoothest form, crazy distance, all that. So I was really excited to watch these guys play in person. Going into it though, I was like, all right, if like Climo hits the tree on one, if he gets the three and throws OB, if he gets to four and like makes it halfway down the, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like don't put that much pressure on him to go out here. Cause like, who knows how long he's, he hasn't played for, you know, he's not like, he's probably grinding like he used to. And you know, he is up in his years now. It's not like he's a young spry chicken. So I was going in with it with the idea of like, don't expect much, but just watch and see kind of what he does. I think he can still compete at some of the courses we play on tour this year. Not all of them, but I think he could still compete on some of the courses we play, dude. He pures hole one, hole two's tough. So throw that out. Hole three's tough. So throw that out. But I think he ends up parring both hole four. I don't know if he threw a mid or fairway. It was tough to tell pure the whole way. Just what color was a, a it? I saw so many people struggle. Just, dead laser beam all the what, way to the basket. What color was the disc? It was white. Okay. If it was a rock, I'm going to be, I'm going to be silly mad. If it was just <laughs> one of those like 10 time rocks or whatever, eight time rocks that people talk about. Then he gets to hole five. He goes roller. Perfect spot. Backhand straight down the middle backhand across. And then, you know, not super close, but like still has a putt for birdie whole seven walks up, gets everyone amped. So many people there. And then we have the video. I think we have the video here of me behind. Um, we can play that for people watching. I can kind of talk about it. 
So he he's he's getting the crowd involved. He's getting amped up. This is not an easy shot by any means. Tons of people miss it. Tons of people hit the Mando. I don't know what disc he's throwing here, but he just throws that smooth little like baby turnover backhand and he's just under the pin. <laughs> and it's like, I watched him play and I, I'm thinking to myself, like all these people that are like, Ken Climo, he, he wouldn't be able to, you know, light a match to the people playing nowadays. I don't, I don't think you guys watched him play back in the day. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I was, I was thoroughly surprised and Listen, very impressed. I, I was lucky enough to play with Kenny a few times back, back in about 2007, 2008. I think he won the USDGC in 2007. Um, he did it all shooting all in the fifties and he won by like a billion. And I would, I would follow the cards cause I'd get done really early and I'd go out and follow the dude never missed a fairway. Hole one is an absolute gimme for the guy. See, a couple of years ago, they had him. He, he didn't want to miss a USDGC, and he hadn't missed one. So he just went there, threw hole one, and then quit. Didn't practice, didn't do anything, just walked up, grabbed his rock right under the basket, birdie, done. I've never seen him hit a tree on hole one. He's never, ever done it. Even walking up, because I saw a couple clips of hole one, walking up to hole one, after he throws it, Sexton goes, oh, first shot of the day? And he's like, yeah, this week I've, I played some catch with Philo, but other than that, no shot. So he did all of this cold turkey. Yeah. That's, in, that's incredible. And, and, and back in the day, dude, you don't understand how consistent he was. He would just... Never I mean, I have miss. an idea after watching him play those nine holes. Never mess like, up. Like I, I, he is never through. I mean, hole hole seventeen is a tough shot for a backhand thrower. Uh, he ended up missing the island by a little bit. Um, but other than that, I didn't really see him throw okay. a bad shot. So perspective. Now think about a lot of the courses that we played back then. Four hundred footers were like the hardest par threes possible. We mm -hmm. played a lot of 350 to 330 foot shots. The guy doesn't miss that shot. So then tr think about competing against him when he has to throw hole one, like a bunch of that shot, a whole bunch of times. It's just, <laughs> I, I think it's easy for people that never got to watch him play to just kind of write him off and just be like, no, nah, man, no. Nah. And it's like, if you watched him play now, there's no way he's better right now than he was no. when he's, you know, 25, 26, 27. There's no way. And I'm like, he, I, I'm serious. There are certain courses. Cause I don't know how, I don't know how he would do on the longer courses. I yeah. don't, he would, he would have to throw a lot of rollers and some, you know, I, I don't know about that, but Waco Idle wild. I don't, there's a lot of courses we play where it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know, fiercest. man. Think about it. Like now he's happy, jolly back in yes. the day. Dude, the guy was an absolute savage on the course competitor. Mm -hmm. Like he, 
and his IQ of disc golf is so much higher than people even could imagine. I mean, and that, and that actually shows in his commentary and what he knows about the game and what he watches. He, he told us when he was on the podcast that he watches everything, but he was scary to play against. I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. I was playing the Memorial. I was young, young cocky kid, right? I'm playing with Ken Climo. I was playing with Josh Anthon. And I think I was playing with somebody else. Don't remember, but on a whole one, he called me on a football. And at the time, nothing happened. You got a warning. And I remember being so worked up about it. I'm like, no, this is bull crap. Like, can he just call me on a footfall? And he was in my head. Well, I go to Josh and I go, Josh, because when Kenny used to putt, he would get on his, on his mini and he does this rocking motion, right? Before okay. he putts, he does this little rocking motion and he makes his putts. And he would always step on his mini. And so I told Josh, I'm like, as soon as he steps on that mini, I'm calling him on. I'm just telling you. And Josh is like, okay. We go the whole round and we're all battling. We get to the last hole, okay? Last hole, I put it like 40 feet. Josh puts it wherever. Kenny's like 25 feet. I miss my putt. Kenny, Josh misses his putt. Kenny has a putt to beat us. And I'm I'm still on, on it. I'm like, no, I'm I'm calling this dude on a football. He gets up, starts rocking, and sure enough, that mini starts dancing bro and i'm like yes here it comes right before he puts he pulls his foot back he looks straight at josh and i looks at the basket and caches the putt he knew what i was doing the whole round and he just dropped in a 25 footer like it was like nothing playing with, with a, his food <laughs> it was <laughs> that was like a moment an awe moment of i was just like i had so much respect for him after that i never i was just like you know what i foot faulted bro <laughs> like my bad type thing but that's the type of competitor that he was he knew everything he knew the situations he knew what people were thinking like it was the guy was insane yeah i got to uh i got to meet him really quickly right before one of my rounds and we were chatting like maybe a minute before i teed off I made a uh, I made a tweet talking about how you know I just got to meet Ken for the first time in person, talk to him, and then proceeded to like throw it immediately into the bush on hole one, and like <laughs> my mentions were just like, "Yep, that's what he does. Uh, yep, that's Ken for you. He's getting you know." And I'm just like, "Yeah, okay, well." Um, but yeah, it was great watching him in person. Uh, I, I think this is out now on the disc golf network. So if you can, or, you know, I don't know where you find this honestly, but it's definitely worth a watch. Also Barry Schultz, incredible, credible woods player, uh, has, I mean, watching him throw 17 with like a little nose up putter, Annie shot thing of beauty. That was incredible. And then will Schustrick, who is going to be coming on. And I have a lot of interesting questions to ask this man. Because Yuli, he threw the farthest drive I've ever seen on hole three. And I, I played practice rounds with a lot of good players. Yeah. I played, I didn't, unfortunately I didn't play that many uh, in, you know, during the tournament, I didn't play that many with that many good players that were playing well that week. Cause I was pretty low on the leaderboard, but I played a lot of good practice rounds with some good players. And obviously I watched some coverage and whatnot. He om- his disc was almost on the downhill of the ditch on three. Oh, wow. He threw, he That's threw the hard. shot. He threw the shot. We were behind hole three is really hard to kind of get a gauge on where you're, what, what you can see. So we were behind the, 
the tee pad and he throws this shot on an insane amount of hyzer. And I'm like, Ooh, that, that might, that might be OB as soon as it comes out of his hands. And Hunter like looks at me, he's like, no, just wait for this. And I'm like, what? And then the crowd just starts erupting. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh, he definitely didn't go OB. He must just put so much spin on the disc to keep it in the air that long. And we got up there and I was like, what? where is his disc? That's why I kept thinking when we were walking up there, I was like, I have to know where this man's disc is. I'm thinking he like barely cleared the OB. Or he almost got to the ditch, man. He was, he was 55, 60 feet away from the Mando tree. It was an insane drive. He ends up also trying to go big on, um, I think he went OB on his roller or something on hole one and so, or on hole five. And so he ends up trying to go like a 600 plus foot shot straight over the water. Uh, you know, and that was maybe a little bit more playing to the crowd, whatnot, but it was insane to watch him play. He jammed a, uh, a massive putt on hole two, like 50 feet for the skin. Uh, spoiler alert, but watching his game, I've got a lot of questions. Cause I'm like, why is he not playing more? What's the deal? What's going on there? Because yeah, maybe the form's not what it used to be with the injuries and all that, but man, watching him play, that was, that was something else. So uh, whoever was able to put that together, shout out to them. And hopefully this is something that maybe they keep as like a tradition at USCGC where like every year, you know, if, if Ken wants to do it, if Barry wants to do it and then you can kind of cycle in maybe the Nate Sexton spot. Are you out? Are you leaving? All right. Kelsey's Kelsey's off to practice. Um, but yeah, if you want to like cycle in some people at the other, at the other spots, I mean, this is, this is a much must see TV stuff. And I think this is also incredible for the sport because we don't really necessarily have anything right now that does a good job of like really showcasing the history of the sport and keeping some of these people in it. And I think this is an incredible way of doing, doing just that. So yeah, that's what I have to say about that. I don't know. I, you have anything to add? <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, no, it's just lucky enough to see those guys play and, and know their skill set, dude. Will back in the day, he threw so hard that it, he's the only person I've ever seen have a speed wobble, like not like a wobble from bad form. When his disc came out of his hand, it would, it sounded like a, and you're like, what? Oh. And that thing would be so fast. Like a, I don't know. I've seen him make some of the most incredible shots ever. I'm very, I'm going to be very interested in the questions you have and uh, to hear his answers, because I, I mean, if you don't, answer some of the questions that I have. I can't wait to ask him as well because oh no I'm we, what we've a fascinating got, what a fascinating story. You yeah know, he, what, it's not that long ago that this guy was the best on the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not like he's 50 years old either. Like no. he could he could Dark Horse make a comeback and I'm curious to see like maybe playing in that and doing decent this year at USCDC is that in the uh is that in the cards? Is that something that we maybe have uh, yeah. in the future for us? So uh, let's talk a little bit about Climo and the booth real quick. The US, did you see? Oh, you played with him this year too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I played with him second round. What did awesome. you guys talk at all about like future stuff? 
I'm not gonna spoil like him anything. wanting to play more. Okay, no spoilers. We'll keep it. We'll keep it until he comes in. Um, yeah. All right, actually, Holland. I think Holland's here. I think Holland's here. So I think I think Saz is gonna throw okay. Holland in. Hit my camera. What's that? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're, you've probably have been making the rounds, so we appreciate you taking the time out of your day and right before the tour championship to stop in and, and say what's up. Um, first, congratulations. Uh, it was only, I feel like me and Yuli have mm-hmm. talked a lot about like it was only a matter of time until you were going to take one down. And uh, seeing your growth these last couple years has been really, really awesome to see. So first off, just want to say congratulations on on the big win. And uh, yeah, how how is it feeling right now? Oh, well, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Um, It's been pretty good. It didn't really hit me maybe until like kind of Monday head into my practice round just because everything felt so business as usual. And honestly, things happened so fast there at the end. Like I didn't even know I was in contention until maybe – 20, 30 minutes before the whole thing was over. Um, but it feels, feels good to finally kind of get the monkey off the back. Yeah. So you, I saw either in an interview or I saw somewhere a quote where you said that you didn't look at scores until you were on the 18th tee. And there was a massive backup at one point there was like four cards or something on yeah. 18 waiting to tee off. Um, do you think if you would have gotten to 18, and not had that big backup that you would have stuck out not knowing the scores that entire hole or like, what was your strategy for not wanting to know where you were at? Yeah. So I had been tempted to look pretty early on, like round seven or eight. Cause I knew I was shooting really well. Um, and the reason I didn't was cause I knew either I was going to see that I was challenging for the lead and I was going to start to like feel a little nervous and maybe my like mindset would kind of start to change. Or I was going to see that despite, playing really, really well. I wasn't actually in contention. Um, and I was going to feel some disappointment. And since like my mindset was in such a great spot, I didn't want to change anything. Um, and like being that far back, like the, the answer is push, right? It's like, I only look at scores if I needed the information for something. And at that point, the answer was going to be like, I have to keep trying to score. Um, and then coming down 17, like there was a bit of an energy change. Like I could kind of tell going up into that, like the crowd was acting a little different. Um, they were cheering a little louder than they, they normally would. They were cheering a little louder than they were for my card mates. So I kind of like started to feel nervous as though I was playing for the win. And at that point I was like, I'm already nervous. I may as well know what the situation is. Yeah. Makes sense. And, you know, going into the round, what, what did you feel like you needed to do? Was there a number in your head of like, I have to go out and just shoot the the crazy lights out to even give a chance. Because like you said, you had, you know, not just, it wasn't just Kristen in front of you. You had other players like Evelina and Henna who were playing really, really well mm-hmm. that entire tournament. And so the idea that I think you mentioned earlier, like all four of them not playing great, the chances of that happening are slim, but did, did you feel like going into the round that something magical could happen? Um, I felt like I was kind of due for a double digits. Um, it's went through such a weird course where like you can, the same player can shoot, you know, 10, 11 under and then go and shoot like even or even over par. Um, but I felt like with where my game plan was that week, um, so often in the previous rounds, I'd been pretty close actually to shooting a really, really hot round and just been like a couple feet here and there. So I kind of felt like, 10, 11, 12 was, was super possible. Um, as for like actually catching the leader, I had no reason to think that one of the four of them 
wouldn't do something similar, at least get like a seven or an eight down. Um, so it was really surprising actually that all four of them kind of had, I won't call them bad rounds. Like they're still good rounds, but they weren't like as hot as it. Yeah. I mean, looking at the scores here, you know, if Evelina birdies whole 17, instead of taking a double, you know, she ends up, she ends up basically winning it. Right. So it's like, there is, it, it, it still was very close with how it, it turned out. Um, and then obviously Kristen mm-hmm. struggled on hole eight when she took a double on that hole. So you're right in the mm-hmm. fact of like, not, no one really like blew up. Uh, it, they really just, unfortunately each had a, a struggle hole. Ella struggled mm-hmm. on hole 13, taking a, a triple on that hole. So, yeah. and you were able just to play pretty clean when you needed to throughout the entire round. Um, mm-hmm. How, how has it been? We're going to jump into obviously what went down on hole 18 and stuff. Cause I, I know, but I want to give you the opportunity of telling exactly what went down. Cause obviously there's tons of speculation, but mm-hmm. how, how have you handled this so far? Have you seen comments? Have people been posting stuff on your Instagram? Uh, how, how has it been for you? Um, largely I've been kind of trying to stay away from it. I mean, I know like, people are going to be unhappy with, with what happened and maybe people don't fully understand what happened. Cause I don't know what was actually shown on coverage or what was really talked about, but I know I've had a lot of time to think about it and to kind of reflect on, on the whole situation, how we handled it. And I really believe we handled it how we were supposed to per the rules and per what we were able to see. Um, so from my perspective, I did everything that I was supposed to do. Um, and I've just kind of been ignoring everything else. Cause that's not, going to be good for my mental kind of going into this last tournament. So largely I've been kind of staying out of it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's break it down. Um, mm-hmm. For those that d- don't know, we'll show the video real quick of what we're talking about. This is hole 18 coming into the final hole of the tournament. Uh, you were first to tee. in this situation. You have the other card mates are like 30 to 40 feet right of you. So they're pretty tucked away. Um, and your boy. shot goes over OB oh the whole whole way, that and as it's coming bounds. in, which it was going to Heiser inbounds, it clips a tree. You kind of lose sight of it, and then I'm just talking about what we see on coverage here. You lose mm-hmm. sight of it. It kind of falls down through the tree, and all of a sudden it kind of pops out real quick. You get to see a couple frames of it fall down, hits the ground, and then goes OB. Um, that's what we saw in coverage. Do you, okay. Can you kind of walk us through you after you throw the tee shot, kind of what happens from there all the way to you, um, you know, setting your lie up to where the disc ended up being. Sure. Yeah. So actually from my perspective on the tee, I could see where it hit the ground. Um, so winding up my shot, I'm thinking I want to make sure it's a committed shot. The only time I had roll away problems in practice was when I kind of had too sharp of a hyzer. I left it too inside and I would kind of catch the steeper earlier part of the hill. And so I'm trying to get it hard and flat out of the hand and kind of scoot it up the hill um, and get myself the the easiest second shot that I can. Pulled it a couple feet wide, obviously. Um, And like you said, it's, it's stabling up. And I'm thinking if I miss those tree branches I'm in, it may even stay in. Um, and so I'm watching it very closely. It hits those branches. And I saw the spot from my perspective on the tee pad. I could actually see the part of the dirt where it hit. And to me, it looked like it hit where the line is. Uh, so to me, it looked in. Um, and then I come off. Alexis goes, throws her shot. 
And then when Alexis come off, I, I asked her, I was like, hey, do you think mine hit in or, or not? And she very confidently said, yeah, she thought it hit in. Um, and so then as we're walking up, you know, there's kind of further discussion. The marshal even stopped everybody and made sure to ask both Missy and Alexis directly uh, what they saw, if they thought I hit in or if we needed to go back. And both of them were very confident that they saw it hit in. Um, and then from there, we looked at where the disc was in the water. And, you know, based on how it hit and rolled, we determined that that's the spot where I went was approximately probably where it hit. Um, which actually, if you go look at the line, like it follows the tree line kind of coming up the fairway. And then when that tree line ends, it does jut out towards the water and then kind of follow the water line a little bit wider and where the disc was in the water, like it was at that wider part. So we had every reason to believe that um, it likely hit in just based off that. And then. Okay. So I have a couple questions. The first one, um, w the first one being why, why was there no provisional because the way the way it sounded like is you talked to Alexis, who said, I thought it was in, but didn't get a group consensus. And from all all these stories I've heard, too, it's been it, one thing that I've been interested on is uh, I haven't heard anything about Ellie Ezra. Did she just not want to have was she not w watching or because mm -hmm. I also got the um, I also got the uh, thing about the spotter who or not the spotter sorry the the marshal the marshal i saw the comment on facebook i also talked to missy and all those stories line up in the idea that the marshal went up as you guys were walking up the marshal went to alexis asked her the marshal then went to missy and asked her mm. ellie ezra always is just kind of out of the story so i'm curious one yeah did she ever say anything and then the second one why wasn't there ever like a group discussion before leaving the tee pad of like, Hey, should I throw a provisional first or mm -hmm. why, why was it? Um, why I guess, was it just, you just asked one person and walked up there? Yeah. Well, we, we walked up there. Um, I asked Alexis and like, that's two people, right? That's enough to get. Cause the way the rule is, is if it's two people, then the benefit goes to the player and then I get to play there. So um, in my mind, like that was enough to call it. And honestly, it's not that far away. We have to wait anyway. It's not that mm -hmm. big a deal for me to just grab a disc and go back and throw again. Um, so that was my thinking there. As for Ellie, um, she had thrown her drive OB to the right and kind of just went straight to her disc. She didn't come in and, and discuss or anything. And honestly, with her being new, it's possible she didn't feel comfortable in that situation. Um, but again, like if you've got three out of four saying a disc landed in a spot, that's generally good enough. Yeah. And for those that don't know the rules on this, this is 801.03 on appeals. When a group cannot reach a majority decision, which in this case, you actually did have a majority decision, uh, regarding a ruling, the ruling is based on the interpretation that it is most beneficial to the thrower. So even if you got in a situation where two people were saying, I think you crossed up here and the other two people saying, I don't think you crossed. If no one budges and goes to one side or the other, and that's where you end, as far as I'm interpreting this rule, where you place the disc would be a benefit to you. So in this scenario, it would not be a re -tee. It would be where you um, actually played your disc. Yuli, am I, am I interpreting that rule correctly as well? That's a that's an interesting rule that I think some people no, get yeah, right. Let, get... Yeah, let me jump in real quick. I think so. There's a couple things. I was watching it live, so I got to see exactly what happened on the camera, and then 
now getting the full story, the one thing that I feel like everybody needs to realize here is it's not only that the disc, the disc hits like what, three, four inches out of bounds when you super slow-mo it with a camera. Very close. Yeah. It's very close. But that really, that doesn't matter. Because when the disc is up in the tree, you don't know what's going on. You don't know if it's moving to the right side or the one. And that bush hangs over the line so closely that you can't tell that if it did go over the line. It's not where the disc hits. It's the flight of the disc, right? So that's one thing. The next thing is this rule overpowers everything. This is the rules that we play by is benefit goes to the player. That's a rule that supersedes even the spotter going up and being like no you hit right here if the group can't see what the spotter sees it's the group's call that's the i got i gotta say though like that is we're gonna get to the spotter here in a second but that is one of my biggest like things that i don't like right now is we have these spotters i know i know it's the rule yuli but we have these spotters and I had to do it multiple times and I see it all the time too, of where the spotter puts it a flag somewhere. And then like the person fights for like three feet, four feet, five feet. And I'm just like, man, we're, we're 500 feet away, 400 feet away. There's a guy right there. You see what I'm saying? Like it's right. weird having well, spotters sometimes a, because I, I think some people but, use the spotters as he, like. The spotter really it's, it's there to help you for sure. But when it mm-hmm. comes down to is the spotter can do whatever he does, right? We're playing to the rules that we have to play by. So one of the things that has actually been very frustrating with this year is what I see is spotter says here, player says here, you get halfway. That's not in the rules. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a weird you, one. You should either go where the, you should either go where the spotter says, or benefit goes to the player where the player thinks he went out. And that's not happening lately. It's like, oh, no, I've played in multiple times or multiple groups this year where they're like, I'm I'm saying, no, I think I went out here. Spotter goes, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It was pretty close. And then they go, ah, we'll give it like halfway then. And it's like, no, per the rules, I'm either out back here or I'm where I think I am. You get that's what a good I mean? That's um, like so, Hall- I do There wanna... shouldn't be in the middle. Back to Holland, I... Holland oh. situation you don't know if it crossed or didn't therefore you get it up there and i believe that it doesn't matter what group it is in that situation for what happened how can you send somebody back 300 and something feet if you're not sure per the rule that supersedes everything that's my that's where i stand on the whole whole situation yeah the the last thing the last thing i have on this sorry the dogs are getting a little frisky right now but the last thing i have on this holland is was was the spotter at all involved because the the spotters the interesting thing i saw about the spotter and they were doing this on hole five which is the water carry they were doing this on uh holy teen as well and other holes where you would throw your disc ob and regardless of where you are i mean hole, hole two i threw my disc ob super far right and the dude ran 200 feet to like put a flag where it ended up going out. So they were always doing the flag of where it last crossed in bounds or where it was roll, you know, inbounds when it rolled out, whatever it may be. Was there any discussion on, Hey, the spotter was 
in a pretty good spot, right? He's he's looking down the line, 60 feet away, 40 feet away, whatever, up the hill. Was there any discussion to the spotter or anyone else saying he just gave you the red flag and didn't like run up and put a flag where you crossed? Was there any kind of thoughts on that? So I don't think the spotter actually had a good vantage point of it. And I think that's why he stayed out of it. Um, Cause actually with how sloped that fairway is and the way that those trees are 60, 70 feet up the fairway, you can't see that line. Um, Cause he was nowhere to be seen. He didn't come over and say anything. He offered absolutely nothing. He didn't say, no, it didn't cross out. He didn't say, yes, it crossed in. He peaced out basically. Okay. Gotcha. Um, last thing on hole 18, after watching the coverage and stuff like that, what, what are you, what are your thoughts now? Cause obviously like, it's so easy for everyone to kind of play this, like, you know, Monday qu- quarterback or whatever you call it, looking at the footage and stuff. What, what are your thoughts now after having a few days to watch coverage and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, I actually haven't really gone back and watched the video. Um, and I probably won't go watch it just cause like, what's the point? You know, like I, we called it the way, the best way that we could at the time per the rules. I don't get the benefit, you know, of getting to see the video. Um, and you know, that's, that's a whole different discussion you could have of like, should we try to use the new, you know, the video technology to help us make these calls? And, and right now, no, cause it's not fair. Um, but you know, we made the best call we could per the rules and that's, that's kind of it. Um, which actually leads me well into a question was sent in by Justin. He, he did ask, he said, should we have video replay pros and cons of video replay? So I what, mean, what, are, yeah, yeah con, you said it, con, it's not, it's not fair. fair. So. It's just not fair to the other. Cause like the thing is this situation happens all the time, right? It happens on, you know, it happened on lead card, which is why it's getting all of this attention. But in reality, like it happens on every card at multiple tournaments where, you know, you've got discs that are riding the line of OB the entire way. Um, or, you know, you can't tell because nobody would really had a good eye on it. Um, and it's not really fair for a couple of cards to get the benefit of that technology or the detriment to it. Cause in, in this instance, because we didn't know it went to my benefit. Whereas if we had been able to like, you know, analyze it, it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't have gone to my benefit. And then someone on a earlier card, the identical situation would have gotten the benefit. So it's just not really fair across the board. But then the pro of that would be in these scenarios where it is the, you know, higher money on the line or whatever. It's, I guess, technically more accurate. So, I mean, I think until it's fair for everybody, you can't have it. Yeah. My only pro is like in a scenario like this, or uh, another scenario similar, you can get the right call. That would be the pro. The, the, yeah. My big cons are, one, I think we all need to be playing under the same conditions. And obviously, mm-hmm. yes, Lee card and Chase card, they, they play with a crowd, they play with cameras. So technically they are kind of playing a little bit under different conditions, but we're all playing by the same rules still. In this scenario, the rules, this rule would only exist for a certain amount of players and not everyone. So right then and there, I don't like that. And the other con is, again, pace of play. I think disc golf needs to be faster. We need to get these rounds in two hours. We don't want people having to watch disc golf for four. Let's just get them two hours. And now we're going into some random booth and having someone, you know, up in wherever looking at footage and then radio. Now we're just adding in way more time. And uh, yeah, I don't think 
I don't like it. Yuli, do you, what, what are your thoughts on video replay? Yeah, it's just not fair. We don't have the time. I think those are all great points. Um, maybe someday if there's cameras on every single shot and, and we can, we can then use it, then maybe yes, they would make sense. But right now, absolutely not. And just back to my point that I feel like everybody is missing. It seems like the majority of people are missing with this whole thing is the rules are simple. Benefit goes to the player. That's a rule that we play by period. It's a rule that supersedes everything else. It protects the player. That's what it's there for. The, the player who throws that shot, not the field, that particular player. And in this case, it did. And so you just got to play by the rules. <laughs> I've always said, I've said that the whole time is we play, everybody plays by the same rules. This is a rule that is in place that everybody uses, that everybody at some point in time has gotten the benefit of. Myself, Brody, Holland before, we all have used this rule and gotten a benefit at one time just because it was on the last hole. doesn't make a difference. Not, not to me. All right, we're changing it up. Throw pink, another kind of big topic around this tournament is this is the only tournament that we both in MPO and FPO both play where it is a different distinction of level of tournament, right? MPO, we're playing it as a major. FPO, it's an A tier. Do you think throw pink should be a major? I, I kind of think it should be a major because it's definitely not an A tier. The way we're treated, the way that we're paid, like it's such a weird thing that you know, I've said this a couple of times now. It's like, it's such a weird thing that you have me and Kyle standing on the same stage. We just did the same tournament. We played four rounds at Winthrop against a stacked field that had to qualify to be there. And we played four rounds. We beat everybody. We're on this stage. We're signing the same autographs. And yet he's, he's a major winner and I'm not, it's just kind of a weird juxtaposition. Um, and I mean, I understand, I know the history of like why, you know, throw pink's only been there for three years and it, it originated in COVID because we couldn't have us women's. Um, and on the flip side of that, like, I don't want to see us women's go away. Cause I think that's a really special event in its own right to have that many women come together and play and to be able to interact with the other divisions. Um, and I think it's been really great for growing the women's side of the game. So I don't really want to see that go away either. Um, so Five I don't know. Majors. Yeah, I don't know if the solution's five majors or maybe call, you know, U.S. Women's an A tier for us, but it's a major for the rest of the rest of the divisions, um, something like that maybe. But like, I don't, I don't want to take that away from the people who worked so hard on U.S. Women's because they really did make it feel like a major this year. You know, there have been years past where I've gone and it wasn't run to the same standard as like a Champions Cup or a USDGC, and I feel like this year they really did a good job of that. So, I mean. I'm not opposed to five majors. Uh, maybe it's a little weird having five for the women, but only four for the guys. Like, I don't really know how that would work out, but they do that in golf right now. So I don't think oh, yeah. they stepped on one of the Corgos. Yeah, they do that in golf right now. So I don't think that's a big thing of where the majors have to be, but do you think the FPO fields need to continue to increase? Like, do you want to see FPO fields that have a hundred plus players similar to the MPO fields? Hmm. I mean, yes, just because then the competition's better. And I think 
one of the reasons like MPO is so exciting to watch is because of how many good players there are. Um, whereas in the FPO, you know, you look a few years ago and it's like if two or three people are having an off weekend, it's just not exciting to watch. And and honestly, this year with a lot of like silver events, it's like if there's like maybe 10, 12 players that if like none of them are there, it's just not exciting to watch. So I would like to see our field get bigger, but also just deeper and see the overall level kind of continue to, to rise. Yeah, that was my only kind of concern with wanting throw pink. Oh, we might've lost her. All right. We're going to see if we should call back in. Hey, we had her for a while. Oh, are you back? Hey, I'm back. My, my hey, internet's been a little spotty we can't like that. Hear you so right sorry. Now, though. <laughs> no audio. Oh, really? Dude, what is this thumbs up thing on my thing? What is going on? Uh, what is going on? Fun. <laughs> dude i think this new computer has like i think this new computer has weird stuff to where if i like bro this is my computer's out of control um falling on yuli's face um okay the question the question was um okay so you want you want the fields to increase and i think that makes sense right we all want to see a deeper field in FPO, not just like player wise. Cause you guys get that at some tournaments of where mm -hmm. I think throw pink is one of those where you have a bigger field, but I mean, you have people that are shooting, you know, 30 shots off the lead after round one. So yeah. we're not just wanting to throw anyone in there, but right. if FPO continues to grow and we're looking to try to have more and more fields or more and more people in the field, my only concern, and maybe they do it on different weeks, but my only concern is like, you can't have, 240 people right. play out there at USCGC. Right. You can't do Definitely. it. So that's where initially I was like, maybe, maybe it'd be best to have just MPO playing out there. And then you guys have your major that you guys just play, but mm -hmm. that course is so great. It's like, could you do FPO the week before and then MPO? I don't know how that works with the university and whatnot. But that is something to think about. I don't know what the Disc Golf Pro Tour's thoughts are on this, but I'm assuming all FPL players want the field to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. The problem with that, though, is like you can't have now 200 plus people playing one course. You can't do mm -hmm. it. So I don't know what that looks like for the tour moving forward. Just, just a thought out there. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's break down a little bit of after your first shot on holy team because it gets really really interesting really really quickly <laughs> so you have an idea of what you need to um what you need to do on 18 did you have any clue Kristen's struggles with holy team when you were playing it no honestly i just assumed she was gonna birdie um and so really? like, at that okay. point yeah i i mean i hadn't checked like her stats all week really um I don't normally go check other people's stats too often. So really all I was trying to do was play the hole out kind of as normal, just with that penalty stroke. Cause where I, my lie ended up being, you know, it was obviously way worse than where I was trying to land. But um, generally my plan is, you know, that forehand force into the, into the side of the hill, chip a zone up to the corner, just in front of the tree. Um, and then, you know, just chip a backhand kind of try to get it down there and look for a four. And so I'm thinking, you know, I can still try to get a five here. Um, I have to throw the zone a lot harder or I have to go up to something a little bit faster, felt more comfortable just throwing the zone harder. Um, and of course I ended up way off on the right side, almost going OB again and then having to contend with this tree kind of in my way. 
Um, and so I actually disc up to like a mid range because um, I've been going kind of backhand zone to kind of scoot it down into the into the gap and just cut it a little bit too inside. Um, and I find that kind of OB corner. Um, and then honestly, once it was time to putt, it was kind of the kind of one of those easier putts because like there's no well if you miss it's fine it's either you make it or and and you're continuing or you miss it and it's over so it's almost like a that almost makes it easier in a way and uh, my putting had been great all day so really no reason to think that i wouldn't sink the putt and then after that i just kind of was like all right kristen's gonna birdie that and it's gonna be a playoff like it, it wasn't a question in my mind that she would birdie yeah her history on that hole is actually pretty pretty astonishing uh the the Six times she had played the hole previously. She had played it at seven over par, and Dang. her upshot. She her upshot. She's five of six throwing OB on her upshot. So that that upshot is is one that she's really struggled with. Uh, but Kristen, being Kristen, you know the one time that she's going to birdie it is the one time she needs to. <laughs> and now now you and her are headed over to hole one. You're having to tell the NPO players that are ready to tee off. Like hold on. We're, we're coming in here for a playoff. You have now the whole crowd has now swarmed behind hole one's basket onto hole 17's kind of uh, right side. So that shot's completely different now because you're just like staring at a group of people. Uh, both of you guys throw great shots. Uh, it was surprising that you went first on the putting because it kind of looked like she was a little bit farther away. Did you guys talk uh, about who it. went first there? Honestly, we were both like, eh, it's the same. I don't know. I don't haggle over inches when it comes to putting. I'm just yeah. like, it looks so the like, same and go. I'm ready to go. And and in where I was, like, you know, that downhill putt had been fire all weekend. I was like, I'll just put it in and put the pressure on her. Um, hmm. You know, just pulled it. It was just a little bit too right. So I ended up hitting the right side cage. And then after that, I was kind of like, eh, you know, maybe. Like, I don't think her putting's been as good today. Um and, and uh, yeah, and of course she missed that. And then I was glad that I got to go first on the island. Having done two different playoffs now on island holes, it's definitely better to go first. Um, oh, for interesting. Sure. Yeah, okay. I think so. Um, so you just, yeah, I mean, was your plan, your plan there was like, I'm just putting it on the island. You weren't, you weren't trying of, to go. I was trying to put it at about 30, 35 feet. Um, okay. so like a range that's, uh, especially on a day like Sunday where I was putting really, really well, like that's a comfortable range. Um, the one thing I didn't want to do is miss the Island. Cause then it's super easy for her. She's got this big safe area over here. She can just check a hyzer. Um, so like goal number one, make the Island goal number two, put it in a range that's makeable. So I put it a little bit wider than I had in the round, um, landed it right at 30 feet. And then thinking, you know, if I managed to do that, if she's outside of me, she has to go first. Maybe she makes it, maybe she doesn't. If she does, easy decision, you run it. And if she doesn't, then it's kind of like, okay, do I want to push this or try to end it here? Whereas if she lands inside uh, of where I'm at, I know she's probably going to make that. So you have to run it anyway. So 30 feet was a goal. Yeah. And it looked like she was trying to end it right then and there. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't look like she wanted to play hole 18. And, you know, obviously with her struggles on that hole, it kind of makes sense of like, hey, yeah. let me just try to throw this inside of your di uh, inside of your disc. So you have to make the decision whether or not you have to throw it. She ends up turning it over a little bit. What did your heart skip a beat or so when your disc ended up hitting that pole and it's kind of like standing up a little bit on the layup? Uh, not really. Or like. You weren't scared it, at all because, no, man, watching that back, enough. I was like, oh, my gosh. 
the thing is for like a second but i don't know i guess i've seen i've seen my disc do enough things that i was like that's gonna sit right there it's fine okay so maybe, maybe yeah, like I point saw, one of a second <laughs> i saw that and i was like oh man that would have that would have freaked me out it would have been like what the heck um all right last thing we before we get to go we got it we got to uh you know squash all these conspiracy theories did you have any idea what the color of the trophy was before you won? I had Did you no see idea. It previously, I had no. I never seen that trophy. Okay, <laughs> never seen Initially, it. Initially, I thing thought I, said, I, I was like, "It's my shirt." <laughs> when I saw the photo, I thought it was a, like I thought it was like a glass trophy, like when you the one that you're holding up in front of your shirt. When I first saw it, I was like, "I think it's just a glass trophy." And I was like, uh, I don't know what everyone's hoopla is. And then I saw the photo of you lifting it up of your head. And I was like, no, those are, those are the same exact color designs. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, uh, you squash that no conspiracy theory. No she had idea. no idea. It just, uh, it just ended up working out that way. Um, but Hey, that was, that was absolutely awesome to watch you kind of just have your best round of the week on the one that mattered the most. And then be able to go toe to toe with Kristen in a playoff. I think the only other person that's really been able to kind of go toe to toe like that with Kristen down the wire has been like Sayananda at Texas State. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like Kristen, when she's in a driver's seat or in a potential uh, potential spot to win, she normally does. So you're able to take it down. How are you feeling going into the tour championship? Uh, pretty good. I mean, Nevin's going to play hard. I think. I think shooting about even is going to be. Um, be pretty good out there so honestly i'm trying to probably play a little bit more conservative there's a few holes where um you know last year when i didn't make it to the finals i think it was because i just took huge numbers in just a couple of spots in the middle and just could never recover so really i think the goal is going to be keep it pretty clean try to take no worse than like a bogey here and there um and yeah i think i think par golf might win it actually par like three or four under Okay. Very nice. Uh, do you have any pet peeves for us before we let you go? Anything, uh, maybe maybe people, what, like what players do or like just in general, it could be anything. It could be, it could be, uh, it could be Instagram comments. If you want to throw that out there, (laughs) uh, some, you know, some people making, making some comments on Instagram, whatever, whatever you're feeling. For example, my pet peeve is one. I said for the for example, my pet peeve, my new one is when uh, you're you're trying to get benefit of the doubt and they give you halfway. My newest <laughs> pet peeve, the halfway mark. Okay, just send me back there or or put me where I think I'm supposed to be. <laughs> okay. okay, I guess for like for playing, it would be when people like are completely unaware that it's their turn. I don't know Ooh, if this happens in MPO, one. but this happens yes. in MPO all the time where it'll be like yeah. everyone can see everybody's disc and they're just standing there. Like, or worse if they've got headphones in and then they'll kind of <laughs> notice everyone looking at them and they'll be like, Oh, do you want me to go? They're like, Yeah, bro, it's your turn. <laughs> this is not helping my pace of play. This is not making my, my this makes no, my heart dude. rate raise when there I are, hear this. There are girls <laughs> who've been on tour a while who do this and it blows my mind. It's like you guys just, are the first ones go. out there. You guys yeah. are the first ones on the course. If you guys start backing it up, <laughs> then we all are screwed for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm trying, man. That's so why if anyone ever asks me, like, oh, is it me or you? I just go. I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm tired of it. I don't wait for it. 
All right, Yuli, ask your question. I'm going to throw the dogs upstairs real quick because they're freaking out with our neighbors. All ask right, Holland, out of, out of all the uh, players that you play with, give me somebody you look at their game and you're like, that's nice. Like, I, w I wish I could do that or, or pick somebody's um, strength that you wish you had. Um, I mean, honestly, the person I've probably been trying to learn the most from this year has been Kristen. I feel like that's just like a cop-out answer because she's the best. But I feel like her <laughs> biggest strength is she can break down a course into shots that are super easy for her. And like, that's why right. even on days where she's not a hundred percent on, she still shoots really, really well. And, you know, her worst finish is like fifth or seventh or something. Um, it's just cause her, her decision-making, yeah. she, she has like her core strengths and she sticks to them as much as possible. And I feel like, you know, when I first came on tour, you know, kind of getting hyped up as like a big arm or whatever. I felt like I always had to be the furthest drive or I always had to play in a certain way. And something I've been trying to learn from her is like, now break the course down into what's your easiest shots. And then even if you're a little off, you'll still do really well on average over the three or four days. Right. No, that's great. That's a great point. It's a good person to pick. Yeah. But I mean, I'll maybe, have to re maybe I'll, honorable. I'll have to rewatch the episode to see who she picked. Here, I'll, I can, we'll give, give, can I give an honorable mention? Yes. All right. Yes. I don't know if y'all watched Eliezer play, but I've never seen anyone that explosive in our division. I think, like, she maybe even blows, like, Ella Page out of the water with just the explosive power she has. Like, when she learns some, you know, some golf yeah. and some different angles and different shot shapes, like, holy crap, she's going to be good. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be very impressive to see what she ends up uh, doing and maybe even bringing kind of the next generation of these young yeah. disc golfers in the FPO yeah. field. So it'd be fun to see. All right. Thank you so much, Holland. We appreciate your 2023 yeah, you. throw pink champion, Holland Hanley. Check her out this week at the Tour Championship playing in Nevin uh, on the Disc Golf Network. Thanks for stopping by, Holland. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. All right. We, I think, have uh, Will Schustrich in the wings. We're not going to make the three-time USDGC champion wait any longer. We're going get to get him in here. It's been a hot minute, but we have your three-time USDGC champion, Will Schustrich. How's it going, brother? What's up, guys? How's it going? Oh, it's going. Uh, this is Welcome, someone, buddy. Uh, yeah, Hello, I'm, I'm excited to have this interview. I kind of bumped into you every one, a little bit this past week, but you know, I think we were kind of all doing stuff. So I didn't really want to bother you at all. And I kind of had in my back of my head, like maybe I can ask him if he comes, comes on the podcast and we can actually have like a decent long conversation. So I'm, I'm very excited to uh, get the opportunity of talking with you. I've got a lot to ask, so I'm just going to jump in right away. How was this past week for you? Uh, it was fun. You know, um, <clears throat> even though I don't like to say like I was out there to like have fun, like nobody, everybody's there to have fun. Right. Like, you know, it's, uh, showing up and seeing people I haven't seen for a long time. Like I used to travel with them in the car for years, you know, example being Paul, you know, I haven't seen him in six, eight months, something crazy like that because people go all over the world. So, um, it's nice to see people and my friends that I haven't seen for a long time, catch up for a little bit. Um, it's obviously really nice to play the course and, uh, to be seen is always nice. Um, you know, I really do appreciate people that have won the tournament before, be able to come back and compete for however long they want to play. I think that's a pretty cool thing. So, um, 
yeah, it was just a good week. Like I didn't have any expectation going into it and uh, just wanted to compete. And that was it. Yeah, I was going to ask the, uh, you real quick, wait before you go, Brody, since you've won yeah. it three times, do you think maybe you could give Brody and I the other two so that we could compete forever? Is I'll that, bring my rings next time. It works. Just hang out. <laughs> just sneak in be like, yeah, I got a ring, Perfect. man. Let me in. Perfect. No, I was, I was going to say if the PDJ is listening, maybe they can kind of take a book out of USDGC and uh, let past champions play at the world championships. Um, yeah. For yeah. Future I one. think that's just, a, I honestly think that's a growing pain. That's just got to happen. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that's growing a lot with the sport. I think that's one of those things that's just got to be part of it. You know, like no matter what, if somebody wins a world championship and, and, you know, take Avery for an example, take anybody who's won a world title and they're 65 years old, if they can sign up, they just get exemption rated 800. They play one tournament a year. It's pro world. You let them in, whatever, you know, they're going yeah, to represent. Yeah. I was going to say, especially if we get the, if we can get to like cuts and then it's like, okay, that person's yeah. only playing two rounds and, and then they're gone. And, but I think seeing past champions out there and, and I want to ask you now about the skins match, you know, playing with Ken, Barry, Nate, like having those past champions, having that history does a lot. And, you know, coming from myself who really wasn't paying attention to disc golf until 2020, hearing as much as I've heard from about you, about Ken, about Barry, and then seeing you guys play for the first time in person, it is, it is something special and that only builds. So, you know, let us know kind of how, how did this skins match? First off, like how did that come about? And then just kind of walk us through your experience doing that. Yeah. Jonathan Poole, it was kind of his idea of, you know, wanting to put together something before the tournament was kind of the idea was actually the initial idea was, Hey, I'm going to try to put something before the tournament. People could come out and watch like they have done GK pro skins at all the pro tour events. And uh, he's, he said he was going to try to get some of the past champions, didn't really know who was going to be there in time to be able to do it. And then um, it was funny that one of my friends texted me and said, hey, you didn't tell me about this. I was like, oh, thanks for telling me about it. <laughs> so uh, I knew it was going to go. I thought it was going to go on before the tournament. But, you know, after the second rounds, it's all fine. I, I had said, you just, you just tell me what's going on and I'll be there. I, I doesn't really matter to me, whether it's Monday, Sunday, Friday after the last round, what, you know, whatever it is. And so the, the initial posting was me, Kenny Barry, and it seemed a little light. Like there's a lot of previous champions that they could have chosen. I'm very thankful that they did ask me to be a part of it. Um, you know, there's Brinster Feldberg, you know, they could have, I, I don't know if Nate would have ever made it to come play, but people would have go out and, and kind of to your point, uh, there was really not a whole lot of footage like there is now back then mm -hmm. to watch Ken Climo and to watch Barry Schultz. And even me coming up and, and even winning USDGC in 2014, the footage wasn't anywhere near that it is now. Like it just is the next level. You know, there used to be Marty McGee with Fly, uh, I forgot his YouTube channel, Fly So High Productions, and he had the highest quality footage out there that you could watch. And now, you know, the footage isn't even comparable to, to that stuff that goes on. So I think it's a big step in just teaching the history of the sport at the same time. Like, you know, those people might have never seen Ken Climo play and he's won however many 12 world championships, which is crazy, you know, and they're diehard disc golf fans and has never seen the, you know, one of, or the greatest of all time play disc golf. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think having 
having these events too for people that are you know curious or whatnot maybe they see you play in person or they see ken play and they go and they try to find some old footage of them playing and and dig a little bit more into the history of disc golf um but i think having this this is an event that i we, we talked about a little bit before you got on here this is an event that i think they have figured out it works really well the crowd was loving it and it's something that you can cycle in like the Nate Sexton spot or whatever you can cycle in some like guys that are kind of on the way out, but not necessarily still, you know, playing, you can cycle maybe some of those people in and still have some of these legends of disc golf playing. I think it's something very special. I, I watched all, um, I think we left after hole 17. Um, but I watched the first eight holes and I loved it. I loved every second. So I hope they continue to do it. Um, can you, for those that maybe not not aren't as familiar with your career, can you kind of break down just like when, turning pro? If you want to start there, maybe go but earlier. Kind of just like how your how your career in disc golf has gone. That's all because of Paul. <laughs> but crazy story. I mean, this is you know this is one of those things. Like things happen for a reason. So like in twenty. 2016 my dad and I flew out to the memorial to play the memorial and I played intermediate I got fourth place and after the round at Dukes we went out my dad and I were just playing disc golf and I ran into somebody who I saw throw 500 feet for the first time ever and he didn't even use an x-step and it was Paul and his dad and his buddy playing and I'm like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. This is incredible right now. And I met him at the first big tournament I'd ever went to. I still have a DX birdie in my garage signed by uh, like Feldberg, Sprague, Climo, Jenkins, all these players from the first tournament I ever went to, I remember. And there was Paul afterwards throwing these like massive anheusers with what was like a cfr wraith at the time i think is what it was probably like a 400 dollars disc now for all i know but that he was the first person i ever saw on a course throw over 500 feet and what's crazy is later that year i went to am worlds in tulsa oklahoma where i played junior worlds i met chandler fry and we always joke because he stayed the same size and I've grown like a foot since 2016. <laughs> He's the biggest kid at Am Worlds. Um, but we played together in 2016. Gage McNutt won. I remember that clearly. And then I they had Disc Golf TV, for those that had no idea what that is. Shout out to uh, the Hanson Begg family for probably the first ever like highlight uh, website for Disc yeah. Golf. People don't even know what that is. DiscGolfTV.com. It. it was amazing. They have some of the best footage and there's so much good archive footage. Like disc golf TV is an example. They had some of the best stuff. Timmy Gill and him were like doing some, some cool things. And that would be amazing footage to, to drum up. But uh, I remember going back and it was weeks later, it took forever to edit footage and get it online. But I was like, Oh, who won? And there's, there's Paul hitting a putt to win in a playoff to be AM world champion in 2016. And I'm like, Hey, that's the kid that we kid. I said kid, but that's the guy that we saw at the Memorial. No way. And he like hit this huge butt to win AM worlds. Like, that's amazing. What are the chances of that? We play with him at the Memorial and he wins AM worlds in 2016. Like that's, that's amazing. 
And uh, just going on from there, like I would just play local leagues. Like my biggest suggestion for players is what I did is play local leagues and find people that are just better than you, that are good examples on and off the course to get connected with and just play disc golf with them. Like watch what they're doing, learn what they're really good at, learn what they're bad at, practice putting when you can and, you know, have a good attitude and just continue to compete on the course. And that's really what I did from 2016, 2017, and then 2018, I started playing a little bit bigger and trying to travel a little bit. Uh, sorry, 2008. 2008, I started traveling just a little bit more. And um, I was still in high school. But 2008 and 2009, I actually got approval from my high school to miss classes because I was a professional athlete. And so I would actually oh. get my absences excused kids that are in high school that are looking to play disc golf, you can use this and you're up your sleeve. Uh, I got it approved because I was a professional athlete. Like I could prove that I made money and prove that I was a sponsored player from Innova at the time and would go to tournaments. So I would miss Thursday, Friday, just about every week or every other week. And I would be the kid that came back on Monday and bought everybody a slice of pizza from the cafeteria. Cause I made money at the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it's so awesome. funny because I, rem I remember Will and this exact moment that he's talking about in 2016, 2000 or 2006. Yeah, I remember just this little shrimper, man. And we were playing together and I remember watching him throw and being like, what the heck? He could throw it so straight and so good. And he just kind of hopping around. You know, it reminded me a lot of, uh, um, and Will, you can attest for this, when Anthony Barella was coming up and he would yeah, follow us yeah. around. And and that was you back then. And, and uh, yeah, years later, um, he brings up the story. But I remember Will being insanely good even at that age and me being like, I didn't know little kids were good. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's so funny. I haven't thought of that moment in a long time. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So what, what, where do you go from there? You're, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really know your history that well. So I'm, that's why I'm really curious. Are you talking with your parents about college? Are you saying, Hey, I think I can make a living doing this. Like what, what's, what are the decision-making in, in high school for you now that you're actually going out and making money playing disc golf? Yeah. And I was making money and really kind of doing my thing from 2008, 2009. So like going into my final year of high school, graduated 2010, that was kind of like the path that I wanted to go in. Like I had a 98 Honda core that I would drive to and from tournaments. I specifically remember before USDGC, the head gasket blown out and going to buy like a 2004 Honda civic or something like that, whatever it is. And I just remember like, Hey, I'm just going to go play tournaments. And I was never home. And you guys know when you're on tour, you're, you, there's really no such thing as home. You know, maybe if you fly around nowadays and it's a little bit different, but back then you played 40 tournaments a year, 40, 45 tournaments. Mm. Like it was a grind. Yeah. Like you're playing C tier, B tier, A tier national tours every eight weeks or something like that. Like they were massively spread out and you're just kind of waiting for that day to come around but you would really just find your way through the tour. You would pick a spot. You heard a B tier, you know, a little honey, honey hole would have a thousand dollars added, $2,000 added. Honey pots. Like <laughs> the honey pot. Paul knows the honey pots. Like he would go to him in the middle of Utah and be like, what is Paul doing in the middle of Utah? Oh, first place was $1,800. Okay. 
what the heck happened there? <laughs> but that, that was the days. I mean, that was really like, you just knew of these like local TDs that could fundraise money and you would, they would know, you know, Hey, I really like Paul. Hey, Paul, I've got 5,000 added. If you want to come out here. Oh yeah, sure. And then you would show up and there'd be a huge payout. Like that, that's not really like that silent anymore. Like there's a lot of events that have just grown up. There's not many honey, honey pots out there. There, there might be, but it seems like back in the day, it was every single weekend you could go mm. C tier that randomly paid out over a thousand dollars or B tier stuff like that. Like A tiers were massive wins. And nowadays it's like what, you know, A tier is a, a good win, but it's not, it's not anything what it used to be. And so 2010 came around and really I graduated high school, got in my car, just started driving, going to tournaments. And, uh, I never applied to college, never, never applied to, to go anywhere. Didn't really have a intention, but not like a, like a desire, I guess, for college because I, I has well, I was already had this path where I wanted to go and saw that I wanted, that I knew I could make money, not necessarily long-term, it was more of just young and dumb. I'm getting in my car and driving to go play disc golf. See you later type thing. So, you, so you, at this point in time, you're not thinking like, Hey, I think I can be like a world champion. I think I can win like majors. And you're just like, Hey, I can just go around, play disc golf, make some cash and live the life. Like, yeah, not necessarily. I didn't necessarily think I couldn't win, but I was just like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. You know, this is like, mm. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to play every day. I'm going to practice. And I want to be the best, but I'm not thinking like, Hey, you know, like nobody's thinking long, you know, whether they think they are or not when you're 18, 19, you don't think long-term for it's, it's a, uh, you might think you do, but yeah. you don't at the same time, like you're doing what you want to do. You know, that's, that's kind of how it is. And so uh, very fortunately 18 came around and I remember playing an eight year in Atlanta, Georgia that I lost to Barry Schultz. I think I got third. I think I lost to Avery and Barry. And I remember calling my best friend, Big Andy, and just saying like, hey, I really feel like I can compete with the guys. Like, I feel like I could win next weekend. And I remember telling him that on the phone, sitting in my car, thinking like, I really think I can win the uh, USDGC next weekend. And I went there and I practiced for seven days before the tournament. First time, or it wasn't the first time going there. That was uh, my third or fourth time because I played it when I was 15 in 2007, I got a state qualifier for those that didn't know you used to get a one state, got a qualifying event and one person from each state could go play. It could be anybody of any caliber and they didn't have to give yeah, it away. State rep, state rep, the TD of the, do you have to like show that you're from that state though? Or could you like show up to like a dark horse state to try to win, win? I think that you have to be from the state. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. From what I remember, and the TD could have kept the TD could have kept the exemption. So it's like, Hey, your event in Tennessee, we're going to give away a USDGC spot. The TD could have kept it. And like, a lot of them did. yeah, a lot of them did. And just, <laughs> I just so happened to get the qualifier and I was 15 and I think I won the open event if I remember. And, and yeah, I got to play the USDGC at 15 and that doesn't happen anymore. Like it's only qualifier at pro tour events or worlds or something along those lines, but you don't get the, like, there used to be over 300 players that played the USDGC and it's, it's yeah, just not like that anymore. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the biggest changes is like you would go there and players would be 
900 rated playing the USDGC. I bet there's people that have never been over 950 that have played USDGC five times or more. Because that sounds that's like a, what was forever. Sounds like a nightmare. It, it sounds was, like an absolute nightmare having those it, people on the course. <laughs> it was tough, man. You know, my first my first time going to USDGC, I made the cut at 144th place. We had a cut, and I was 144th place. I made the cut on the dot. And my final round, I played with Carrie Burlogger, Des Redding, and Angela Chickfry, and they all whipped me. I'll never forget it. Like, I was yeah. playing with these world champions, and I think the U.S. champion. And uh, I remember going in, like, just being like, oh, I'm going to crush everybody, you know? And they just killed me. They just threw their little 300 foot shots in bounds every, everywhere. I shot like a 79 or so, or 82. <laughs> and that course was wide open compared to what we play now. <laughs> that was a field. Like that was just like throw it wherever you want to go. Like no out of bounds scenarios, like no Mando mm-hmm. on five. There's no OB on hole six, you know, no Mando on seven, no OB on eight and a shorter basket position. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Just every chuck hole it is, wherever. Every hole is 50% easier. I would say, honestly, like you could just throw yeah. it, but, it, but at the time it was so hard. It was really like, wow, this is <laughs> yeah. like, above, like above and beyond what's going on. And so that's changed a lot. And I mean, honestly going like story-wise, it was just like a blink. I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like a blink of an eye. Like I had, you know, you miss when you're on tour, you miss everything. So for eight to 10 years, I missed all birthdays, all family, anything, all graduations, anybody growing up, like, you know, you, you listen to any top athlete, like you just, you, that's second, it comes second. That's it. You know, you're there to play, compete and win. And when you're done competing, you're back training, getting ready to be the best again. And, uh, that's one of the things that kind of took me away from wanting to be on tour. I was just kind of over missing all that stuff, you know, like building any type of life or building a future like disc golf was my future, but it was kind of like winding down ton of players getting into the sport that were playing and competing and were great. And, uh, I was just kind of over missing being, having a home base. Wait, Hmm. wait, Will, you're, you, so you you say to you say to Big Andy, let's go back a little bit. You say to Big Andy, I think I can win. What happens after that? I did win. That was the year I did win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, and from there, I mean, from there, it just rocket shipped. You know, it just is. Yep. As soon as you win that, obviously, everybody's in your court of yeah. This is obviously what you need to be doing. And so, just get ready. I would drive every year from Tennessee to Phoenix. I would practice for the Memorial. It would almost be like a pit stop in Vegas. And then you would drive back and play Memorial again because it was two days after Vegas. And that was, that was for almost 10 years straight, eight to 10 years. I would do that. And that was just what you did. That's what everybody did. What was, um, what was it like after you won on the, like, the outside the disc golf stuff. So like the contracts, um, social media was kind of picking up around that time. So like, what, what did that look like back then in disc golf of where, you know, I'm, I'm assuming at that point, no one really kind of, this was like you kind of putting your name on the map. So what did that kind of look like and kind of compare that to what it is now with, you know, like an Isaac Robinson, for example, you know, 
it's, it's pretty funny, like almost, almost unbelievable to a point, you know, like you win and, and, uh, I don't think in 2010 was it, I don't think Instagram was around at all, but like, I want to say I started, gosh, I'm trying to think because 2010 is right. When I graduated, I think, I think Instagram was around, but like very early. Yeah. Like Twitter. I I think Twitter was like 2008 or something. Maybe. I remember remember that year in 2011, like I really learned about promotion and marketing. I remember maxing out my friends on Facebook and being like, dang, I'm cool. Like what's up? 5,000. Yeah. You're you're sending like literally you can send like 500 invites or so at a time. And you're just like reminding people, Hey, like you need to like my page. You need to, you need to like my page. Yeah. So it was like making a Facebook page, starting to do more YouTube videos, starting to starting. I'm pretty sure I started an Instagram. Like, you know, I remember when I was the only disc golfer with 10,000 followers on Instagram. And now it's like, some people pick that up after two weeks, you know, and they just, they the just, K's big. the K yeah. was big though. I remember when I got the K like that, everyone remembers when you get from 9,000, nine, whatever. And then you, all of a sudden it's just one zero K you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get the well, uh, confetti well, here. Maybe I'm going to do a little, a yeah. little, like uh, <laughs> a little background about Willie back in the day. So our first guy who ever started promoting anything was Avery Jenkins. He was like the godfather of, mm-hmm. of being very active on social media, building a brand for himself. But I specifically is this mostly remember Facebook too. Is this, is that really where it was? Everything Facebook. Everything was and Facebook. Then, you know, a, a lot of it was in-person stuff. So doing clinics and growing mm. your brand that way, bringing merch that that your company stamped with your stuff on there. So Avery was a original of that. But then Will, when Will started winning his tournaments, this guy was an absolute grinder. Like he would they started YouTube. He had an actual cameraman with him um, most of the time filming all of his rounds. Uh, Will took it to a whole nother level as far as that stuff goes that nobody else did. I think it was, you know, I don't, I don't know what year it was, but eventually it turned into him, Kayla Visca and Felberg all traveling in a baby RV and, and, and showing the world their week to week life and what that was, what that was like. And then they were doing clinics in every single spot. So like nowadays, we ask all our players to do social media and stuff. But back then everybody wanted you to do clinics because that was like, you get that face to face. And that was like our big selling point is to like, okay, yeah. Talk in front of a bunch of people, create your fans. Will was like a absolute grinder back in the day. He was the first person to do all of that stuff. So go ahead, go ahead, Will. Yeah. No, I, I remember, I mean, it was really, the very beginnings of disc golf hitting that like tech boom, you know, like it got like technical. I remember UDisc and sending and sending people from UDisc like Matt from UDisc and saying like, Hey, your app's really cool. I've, I've never seen an app like this. And, and I like posted online about it. And I remember him sending me a message and being like, Hey, you're really the first row that's ever even noticed our app online. Like it just keeps score. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's like a cool app. Like it's a cool name. So we jokingly, every time I see Matt every now and then it's like, Hey, he's like, yeah, Will was the first one that posted about UDisc like online. 
And now it's, now it's like next level, you know, that's, that's their full-time job and they've got a massive staff now. So like, that's really like, I say tech boom, but like disc golf kind of lags behind on a lot of things when it comes to like being cool and technical and that kind of, you know, cool looking branding instead of just like a basket and every logo, like cool branding, cool shirts, cool jerseys, like, you know, esports looks so cool and disc golf kind of lagged behind a little bit when you have like, you know, if, when you look at old disc golf companies, it's kind of like, that's kind of stuck in the nineties for a lot, eighties, nineties for a long time. And so it took a long time to get caught up, but I do remember setting up clinics. Like I love setting up clinics. Like I love the, I love the, uh, organization of setting things up, promoting it to get people to come out, like, you know, doing, doing little events and signings and, videos like i just have always enjoyed doing that kind of stuff and what's funny is i was never like an outgoing kid ever in high school like i was super quiet dirty little shrimpy like paul was saying braces glasses flat bill hat that looked like this my mom buzzed my hair growing up like that was just who i was did you transition into that pretty like pretty well like getting the confidence of winning a major tournament like that, did that help transition you into being able to do these clinics in front of, I'm sure dozens and dozens of people and talking in front of strangers essentially at this point? Yeah, I I would say so because I think one of the biggest things talking in front of people is confidence. And um, there's a really good book out there called who's your caddy. And uh, I remember reading that and way back in the day, and it talks about why people, like blackout or lose what they're going to say in a speech. And it's the same thing while people have like complete shank shots playing golf and the confident side of things, your brain doesn't want to be nervous. So it really like puts this, puts something into your brain that actually numbs it. And you are numb. Like you're like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're doing. Like we've always done something in tournament. It's like, what did I just do? I've never done that before. Your brain is like, really shutting off. And I think from the early stages of playing and being in front of people and talking and doing podcasts and clinics with a bunch of people, schools, like it's just a lot of experience and getting used to the the flow of certain things. You know, some people are nervous to talk in front of people. I think that's similar to people nervous playing disc golf in front of a lot in front of a big crowd. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you look at, you know, I was talking about the the legend skins match and how you Barry can, I mean, obviously Sexton, he's been around. So people have been watching him the last several years, but you three guys that don't really play, you know, consistently on tour anymore and just seeing you play. I mean, someone told me in the crowd, I don't know. You could, you could let me know if this person was way off base, but someone told me in the crowd, this might be like one of the larger crowds climbers ever played in front of. There were a lot of people out there. Yeah. When and you look at, go ahead. I was just going to say, and there was no nerves. None of you guys look nervous. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that comes down to confidence. And if you've ever talked to Climo, he screams confidence. That guy is one of the more confident people I've ever met in my life. Really? I mean, talking on the broadcast booth, I didn't listen to any of the live coverage, but he's got a lot of knowledge about disc golf. And there's a lot of people that have that knowledge but it's hard to actually communicate that to thousands of people at the same time while something is going on live in front of you. And that shows his level of confidence in the, in the game, what he's saying. And then you put him right in front of a crowd with no warm up, nothing. 
and he's just like, let's go. <laughs> Parks hole one, you know, makes the first putt like it's nothing. And then he's ripping shots. Um, but yeah, he's really confidence is a big thing. All right. I got to know what you mentioned a little bit about, you know, you just got tired of touring. I've heard things from like injuries. You, you had some nagging injuries. What, what made you go from, you know, being the world's greatest disc golfer to where you're not touring anymore. What, what happened there? Yeah. The first thing was I started to really get bad shoulder arthritis in, in my right shoulder. And, uh, I went to a guy in Nashville who trains a lot of pro golfers, uh, got an MRI. Uh, only time I've ever passed out was in an, at, during an MRI and, uh, yeah. And I just remember them saying like, look, you don't have anything torn. Like there is the, there's always the opportunity to have surgery on your rotator cuff or your labrum to where they can clean it up. But you know, you'd be out for eight to 12 months and there's no promise you're going to come back any better than you already were. Like you can't, you can't have surgery as an athlete and then think you're just going to come back like, Hey, that fixed what was wrong, you know? And a lot of times, unless it's completely broken or torn, you're not going to know until you like get in there, there's bone spurs or, or whatever is wrong in there, a torn ligament. And so I really did not find the joy in playing when my arm hurt and, uh, it just became less and less fun from 2014 to 2017, 2018. Like I just really went declined of, you know, yes, I was the best player in the world, but like by 2017, or 2016, 2017, like I just didn't enjoy the game like I used to and not necessarily because I wasn't as good, but like it legitimately was not fun to practice. I could, you know, it's mm. not like I had no grip on like, no, you know, a lot of times when you have a shoulder or injury, you can't grip anything strong. Like I could tell I was losing like grip strength. I could tell I was losing distance. I wasn't confident in my backhand. And so I just kind of looked for other avenues and was like, okay, this, this might not be something I'm going to play like touring and play for the next five to 10 years. Like I want to be able to play. I want to be able to throw a ball with my son when I get older, I don't want to not be able to move my arm ever. And so, um, I got away, got a lot more involved in prodigy, obviously got, uh, more involved in doing like disc golf instruction and uh, making more videos and doing just some other promotional stuff. And then um, when I really decided of getting back into it, like, you know, kind of like 2020, 2021, it was kind of like, hey, I'm going to dabble in playing some smaller tournaments and really just kind of stay active. Um, I kind of made the decision like, hey, if I'm going to get back into it, like I can't I can't go down the same road, same path and just be like annoyed and frustrated. Like I, I remember for years I would practice putting next to a privacy fence. Like imagine if you're putting right-handed and the privacy fence is on your right-hand side, I couldn't control my arm from not hitting the fence to the right. Like I, I would slam my knuckles into the fence. And so I was like, okay, I can't, I can't be doing this on, like, I'm not like bad at this bad at putting, you know, like something's wrong here. And so I would stand next to a basket, metal basket. And I have videos on my phone of like, okay, what is going on? Like, and I, it would literally just 
shake. Like my arm would lose total control and it would almost feel like, like the arm, like the socket in your shoulder would have no type of ligament attached to it. Like my shoulder popped out or something you going through the putting motion. Wow. It was, it's almost bizarre. Like, and so it gets to a point to where it's like, you know, when you're, when you're bad and you start to, you know, not that I read in the comments, but people are like, Oh, he's terrible because he's using those putters. He's terrible because, Oh, he's just not good anymore. Like, why would you choose to putt like that? It's like, I don't want to putt like that. Everybody wants to try to make it and have perfect form. Not everybody can do, that, you know? Mm. And so that kind of weighed more into it. Like, look, I don't, I don't need like the, the peanut gallery to tell me like, Hey, do you know you're doing that? Like, yes, I know I'm doing that. My arm hurts. Thanks for letting me know. Thanks for the heads up. So going and <laughs> practicing and, and getting away from that, like I always like to read and get advice from people that have done it before, whether it's, whether it's basketball or whatever, like, you know, there's a lot of people that have had like shoulder impingement or shoulder arthritis or anything like that. And that's, that's uh, kind of what it came up happening. And so I would try to train myself putting left-handed and right-handed because left-handed I can putt perfectly fine and I can teach myself to just putt. And so I would be in the backyard putting straddle, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. And that's really how I started to practice left-handed was like, Hey, I'm actually pretty good at putting left-handed. Like if I really needed to switch, I mean, we all could switch to a style and play and practice and probably get pretty good at it. If you really want to get pretty good at it. Like if you only threw rollers and you're like, I'm a, I'm a roller guy, that's it. You'd be the best roller guy, you know, in a couple months. And yeah. so I was like, it's, it's an arm, you know, it works the same functions, the same. I can, I can practice putting left-handed and not interested in getting shoulder surgery and uh, it's kind of fun when you're playing a tournament and you hit outside the circle righty and then outside the circle lefty. And yeah, that's, uh, that's my game right now. So where, where is the, you know, after playing, what did you end up playing? You played 79 holes, right? No, you just played 81 holes. You played 81 holes. What, what's the body feel like right now? After 81 holes, you've got a couple days to recover. Still feel warmed up, ready to roll. <laughs> it's a lot of golf. I mean, yeah. like to play back to play, you know, seven days in a row, essentially. And I say, and I say warmed up because it feels like I just got done playing like a couple hours ago and it's Wednesday, but you know, I still keep myself in shape, still, still work out, still eat really healthy, still extremely active. I might not go out and grind it in the field, I can drive, I drive like 30 seconds away from my house and I go throw like my bag in the field and try to stay, uh, stay loose. And I've got five baskets in my backyard with 50 putters. So I can, I can sit around and putt all day long if I want to. So it's easy to stay loose and stay in it. But I think it's just like the mentality of the tournament is something you can't practice. You can't get that expertise or that feeling of putting for money, putting, Hey, this one matters. You're not going to get another one. Like you putt, mm -hmm. you know, your routine, you, you walking up to the first putt after you haven't played a tournament for a month and you're kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I just going to putt it? Am I going to like pretend like I need to go through my motion, you know, and you're <laughs> like thinking <laughs> and Paul knows what I'm saying. It's like first putt of the year. You're like, okay, what's going to be my routine this whole year. And you throw it and you're like, lying <laughs> Yeah. It's the first one. You're like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Like I can't do that this whole year <laughs> after the first hole. That is true. The, uh, no matter how much you practice the off season, that first putt 
which is now going to be in Florida, which is weird to say, cause normally it's in Vegas, but that first putt, you always step up. It's always nice to throw one under the basket on hole one. Cause you don't know what's going to happen with that first part of the year. Um, so what, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to see more of you next year? Uh, like where, where are you at on tournaments wise? I think that easy answer is it's hard to get into tournaments. It's pretty difficult to sign up for pro tour tournaments. I mean, they fill up really fast. There's a good bit around, um, where I live, like Florida is not that far for like the opening of the year, but just to sign up for tournaments is difficult. You know, whether it's your rating or it caps out, there's a, however many people are rated a certain amount and then it fills it up and then you're on the wait list. And so, um, I'm always at like Jonesboro, Waco, you know, preserve, like those are three pretty obvious ones that I could easily most likely play, but getting in them is another one. Like, is there a sponsor exemption? Is it not filled up, but you can just sign up and play? Is there, I think they're having qualifying events before something like that. Um, mm. or they, they did anyways. Um, but there, there's also a ton of tournaments around here where I live, like music city open is three hours away. You know, anything within seven hours is not that bad of a drive. Now what, let's just say theoretically, you know, Jeff spring is hearing this and is like, Oh wait, Will's thinking about wanting to play in tournaments. What if there was some sort of like exemption that he could give you to be like, Hey, any tournament next year on tour you want to play in, you can play in. If that was the scenario, what does, what does 2024 look like for you? I, I still can't imagine going tour tour life. Like if, if it was something in that scenario, I would look at a calendar and try to plan out going to those events, seeing how, seeing what that looks like on like a real schedule and seeing like, Hey, I'm going to fly out Tuesday. I fly back Monday morning, something like that, whatever it is. It's like, I would have to look at it and actually see a real schedule. Like I, obviously they posted it. You could really plan it out, but you know, I, d I don't have any intentions of going back on tour and uh, you know, do doing you, do what you miss it? Do is just next level. Will. Huh? Do, did you say, do I, I miss said, it? Do you miss it? Do you miss the tour? Yeah. I, I miss some, some aspects I do. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy grind I enjoy to be out there and, and practicing hardcore. I don't, uh, I don't miss not being home. You know, I, I can't imagine going yeah. a week without seeing my two year old son. And, uh, you know, when you listen to a lot of people talk about kids growing up, you really have four or five years until they create their personality. So you got to really soak in every hour that you have until they, you know, until they're really going to school. And once they're going to school, they're at school five days a week. And so, um, I like to just soak in everything about that. Honestly, I can't, I can't imagine not being here with yeah. my wife, my son, my house, all that kind of stuff. Like, could I play a pro tour event a month? Like I could see something like that. And there's some other local events that I could compete at. You know, I, I still envision myself making more videos and promotions and, and that kind of stuff. Like teaching disc golf, I think is something that I'm, that I'm almost more interested in than, competing and playing because it's, it's really rewarding. And one of the only reasons why I, en I enjoy 
you know, social media period is people coming up and saying like, Hey, you're the reason why I even play disc golf. You're the reason why I even learn to yeah. throw like that goes, a, that goes a long way. Like, you know, for, for me, there were, uh, adults that grabbed a 13, 14 year old me in Knoxville and changed my life. So it's like, if I can make a five minute YouTube video that gets 700,000 views and people comment, wow, this makes me enjoy the sport more like that to me is like way more rewarding than playing events. It just is mm-hmm. like where I enjoy and see that return in giving back the same way that the sport gave back to me. Yeah. I think, I think some people maybe listening to this are maybe on the, uh, maybe we're a little selfish and wanting you to, you know, play more events. And I think sometimes we, you know, I think it's easy sometimes to just be like, Oh, it's not that hard for you to just like go out and play the OTB open. And, you know, when you have a family, when you have a home, you're like, man, it it is tough to kind of just get away for a week and then come back. Like that's not easy to do. And just hearing you talk about the grind that you've already done on tour and then like taking a break from that, it, it, it's, it can't be easy to be like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to jump right back into doing that same old, same old of where I'm just on the road for, you know, 30 weeks of the year or whatnot might even be more now with how the tour is, you know, pushing it super late into the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we would all love to see you, especially at some of the bigger events, right. If you can make it to some of the majors, um, and like you were saying, come some of the Waco, preserve some of those events as well. Cause I mean, I watched you throw dude. Uh, you, you can still compete. I don't know what these comments are telling you. Otherwise I, I told Yuli the throw that you had on hole three, that was by far the farthest throw I've seen, um, on that hole ever. And then, uh, the putt that you made on hole two, people were telling me that you're playing left-handed and you walked up and banged like a 45, 50 footer on hole two for a skin. I'm like, what the heck is going on? So um, you know, I think I speak for a lot of people saying like, we would, we would definitely probably love to see you play in more events if it is at all possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that. Like I love, you know, it's always funny making a post online and the first comment is when you're going back on tour, like that's the first comment, right? Like that's uh, and, and I can appreciate people wanting me to play. Like I it's, it's heard and, um, means a lot that people, I guess people care to want to see me go out there and play and, you know, I, I know, you know, I, like you said, like there's life, there's priorities, you know, I, I would of course love to be able to just, Hey, everybody hop in an RV and let's go play 30 tournaments a year. But that's pretty unrealistic. I think realistic is, you know, five really big tournaments four four or five big tournaments, like pro tour level tournaments, you know, maybe, maybe worlds, if you can even get into it and USDGC is like a good way to look at it. That'd be sweet. That'd be awesome. What about, um, uh, sorry, Brody. One, no, go. You know, one of the things you, you were talking about is how cool was it when uh, Gannon won last year and he was posting himself as a little kid, you know, watching you. And then there was posts about him and, and you being his favorite player. I, I always think that that's crazy to, to think how long we've been playing, but especially you. I mean, I guess, um, 
being his favorite player and you having some sort of influence on, on a kid like that. And now that's the future and designing his whole entire game, you know, around you and wanting to be like you, that's got to feel special. And and then that kind of leads into another question. Uh, it was funny. We played together this week and it was like, it was show and tell for me because I were playing with these guys and I'm like, watch this, watch this guy throw, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, wait, wait till you see what, what I'm dealing with out here, you know? And we're like looking at each other, like, what the heck was that? These guys are just ripping it so far. What, what is that like to see like the progression of the game, you know, um, just in the, in the last few years? It's pretty wild, you know, and, um, you know, just to reiterate on, on the Gannon situation, like that's, uh, that's, that's exactly what we're, what I'm referring to. Like, you know, one, I remember taking the video. I remember him walking around 2014, 2015 USDGC walking around with me in the rain, the last round. I remember this kid clapping every single shot I threw. And I was like, this is, I mean, I was on like the fourth or fifth card, you know? So there's really not like that big of a gallery. I was like, uh, you know, that's really cool. This kid's walking around. And so I went out of my way and I gave him a disc out of my bag and took a picture with him, which is like, you know, the picture that we took on hole 18 that you're talking about. And, you know, that kind of stuff to me is more rewarding because that, that was me, that was me, you know? And, uh, not that that shaped Gannon's career by any means, but if it just did in the smallest amount, like, you know, that goes to show a lot of players now that are out there playing and traveling. Like when you, when you see young kids and you see anybody like, we're just a blip, you know, I, me growing up and playing for eight to 10 years, like I'm just a, I'm just a blip. Everybody playing right now, like is, you know, live it every single moment. Like it is your last, but remember that. And it's going to go by in a snap of a finger, but you can affect the people coming up for having that next generation. And, uh, that's still where disc golf is. Disc golf is still in that next generation phase. Like it's not, it's not the golden age by any, by any way. It's still growing so fast. And we played with two players from Europe and one of them said, we're on hole five. And he's like, Hey, do you remember me? Like we're on hole five. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're playing together right now. We're on yeah. hole five. He's like, no, I met you. I met you eight or 10 years ago in Europe at a clinic. I went to a clinic you and Seppo did. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, that's like, blows me away and then i watch him throw and it's like like you know ripping it to the side of the hill on hole 12 and it's like uh, hey sorry guys paul and i are only going to throw it like 400 feet we'll, we'll try to be safe but we'll keep it moving for you guys okay like so sorry we couldn't keep it up for you yeah yeah they could just blast it but it was just so four five holes in and he's like hey you remember me i'm like i, I no, i don't know <laughs> I have no idea. But then he's like, I was like, man, you kind of looked familiar, but a lot of Europeans kind of look familiar. You know, it's like hard to remember their names and their last names. Like, you know, unless you see them a bunch, it's kind of hard to really make it stick out because you don't see them on footage or photos or anything like that. And uh, it, it's just unbelievable how, you know, I used to go over to Finland and do six clinics. I'd be there for over a month and we would go to different towns, a new clinic every day or every other day we would do a signing and a clinic in the same day, a signing and a clinic in the same day. And then we would go to Estonia. I met, I remember meeting silver and Kristen in Estonia and playing the Estonian open. And they were just kind of, I remember silver was into it and Kristen was just kind of getting into it. If I remember could be wrong, but it seems that seems right. 
And I mean, that's eight, nine years ago right now. And, uh, it's just, you know, that obviously there's a lot of history. You could go on and on and talk about stories like that, but just a little bit, little, littlest thing can have the longest term effect, especially when you have, or at the level of a top player, you know, and I think for the, the, I say the kids that are now playing as pro disc golfers should really be thinking of like, Hey, what can we do to really use my status of whatever champion to give back a day of the month to grow the sport or two days of the month to grow the sport. There's a lot of new things that are going on that weren't going on back then. Like the whole you play stuff like that never existed back then. Like if a pro went to a school to teach disc golf, it was like major news. Like that almost never happened at all. Right. Like it was, it was a pretty big deal. And that's happening all the time. Like I saw a school bus show up to go to the preserve it's like, what? Yeah. World? <laughs> how many kids are coming out here right now? Like that's, that's un- almost unbelievable <laughs> that that stuff is happening, but you know, it's just what is going to get disc golf to the next level. That's why it's on ESPN. That's why it's on CBS. That's why they have more sponsors. That's why there's more eyeballs, more followers, all that kind of stuff. You just have to continue to build, build the eyeballs on the sport. Yeah, that's well said. All right, before we uh we we do appreciate you giving us the time before we let you go though. Uh if you're not familiar with the show, we always ask pet peeves. We always ask what are some things and and actually from you, it'd be really great to know some maybe pet peeves that don't exist anymore but used to exist in disc golf. I think that would be fun for some of our listeners of like what are some things that happened in disc golf, you know, when you were first touring or first playing? They might not happen anymore. People might not remember them that uh, you could bring to light that maybe uh, got under your skin or whatnot. Or you're just like, oh man, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. And for those that know me well, know I have a lot of pet peeves, but <laughs> the one that doesn't exist anymore is long award ceremonies. That's probably <laughs> the most oh annoying thing on the planet. I totally forgot about those. Hours. Yeah. Oh. Nobody knows what an award ceremony Hours? is. Hours? Hours? you see me? Wait, what? We're talking oh, there about were raffles and there were, yeah. B-tier, CTP, A-spot throw-offs, <laughs> 27th place in MA4. Here we go. And, and are you at the end? Like the, the big oh, winner yeah. is the very yes. last one? I specifically remember being at many tournaments where they wouldn't do pro until their last You'd be like, hey, man, I got to drive 12 hours to a tournament. They'd be like, I'm not giving you your money. We don't do PayPal. You can, you're, I'm going to, I got cash for you and that's it. And they're like, you're, you got to wait. I'm sorry. And you know, now it doesn't exist anymore. And so you're like, hey, man, I got to go. I got a big tournament I got to go to. Like, sorry. And so everybody gets their prizes and leaves. And in a hundred person B tier, there's five people left and like first place in open men. And then you go there and you're like, well, thank you guys. And then you hit the road. <laughs> Speech, speech. Yes. All, I <laughs> like mean, the dude, one drunk guy in the back. Oh, man. That's, that's uh, every, at, at that point, everybody was drunk in the back, Brody. We were there for four oh. hours. <laughs> yeah. When you said that, the first thing that popped in my head was the uh, this year world's uh, opening ceremony, where it was just hours of someone just talking about uh, their Olympic sport, but that's a different thing. Um, Yuli, hit him with the last question. 
Yeah, so I get, we'll do throwback. Back in the day when you were playing a bunch and competing with the best players of the wor- in the world at the time, who did you look at with a little jealousy as far as form or putting, sidearm? Who who back then were you always like a little bit envious of? of you were wish I wish I had that skill. Okay, for one year, it was Nate Doss. Because I got top four in every major, every national tour, and Nate beat me in every single one of those events. <laughs> he beat me in every single one, Worlds, USDGC, every single national tour. He beat me in every single one. And he made every putt. He threw every drive. He never threw it far, but he could do everything, and he would park it. He would never bogey. He wouldn't shoot 1,100, but he would shoot 1070, 1070, 1070, 1070, and you would lose by five. I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. He beat me every, literally every single tournament. Did he ever win USCGC? Yes. He would be. He would be my. He would be my. Oh, yeah, you know that year well. Um, he would. He would be my vote for this legend skin match. He would be awesome to see come out and play. Yeah, because that's another person, three-time world champion. Yeah. I mean, there's a I lot. I think of you people... might have mentioned him at the beginning, but he would. I think a lot of people that are in disc golf now have never seen him play in person. Yeah, I mean, oh. and and to say on his game, like it, he watched Climo and played with Climo. Like I didn't play with Climo a whole lot. I played with Barry. Barry was around for a lot longer than Climo. I played. I played with Barry a lot. I haven't really played with Climo a whole lot. And Nate mirrored his game around Climo. Like he played against him a lot. Like I remember disc golf TV playing in Santa Cruz at the master's cup. And I think Nate was 18 or 19, something like that. Like yeah. I, I remember he was the, he was the kid on tour. Wow. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we can get word out to, to Nate to, to, uh, it'd be a little bit of a flight for him, but I'm sure everyone would really appreciate uh, him coming out and playing. Um, all right. Well, Will, do you have anything else? Uh, give you now, maybe, you know, if you want to shout anything out, anything that's going on. Um, I'm sure tons of people listening right now would love to somehow support you or your family or anything like that. Yeah. There's, re- there's really nothing. I don't have, you know, signature series discs like a lot of these players have. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I guess my only comp, my only final comment would be for all the, like I, I had already said earlier, there's not a new players out there. And, uh, Building a brand, building your name goes a long way, but just affecting, just think that you can affect one, one person's life by making a simple gesture of giving a disc away, teaching them how to play, bringing them to the course. And in 10 years, there's going to be that next, you know, for me, it was Gannon. Like I just ran into him and there, boom, there he is, you know, and you have these little seeds where you go. For me, for me, it was Will. (laughs) <laughs> right. That's and it's true. Like you, you just never know who you're going to connect with and what they could end up doing. And so when you travel around and you get the best job in the world to be a pro disc golfer and you travel around and it, and it really is one of the best things to, you could ever choose to do that, you know, counted, you can make money at it and like to travel around and stuff, but you should really consider you're leaving seeds everywhere you're traveling. And one of those is going to become yeah. the next amazing player. And it takes a little bit of time, not a lot, just a really little bit of time to affect somebody's life. And you, and you get to run across a lot of people. So take, take a little time and 
give a disc away, teach a kid to play, try to link up with the school, do a clinic, whether it's for five people or 50, it could just could make a big difference. Love that. Well, you're an incredible well ambassador, said. ambassador for disc golf. I know everyone listening, uh, we are so uh, happy and fortunate to have someone like you, a champion that has stuck around and, and done so much for the sport. So uh, we really appreciate it. And we appreciate you taking the time out of your, your night, your busy uh, week, I'm sure after playing all week um, to, to come on here and chat with us. I know everyone really appreciate that. And we did for sure as well. So thank you so yeah. much for that. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Of course. Have a wonderful night, man. Okay. All right, your three-time USDGC champion, Will Schustrick, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. How cool, that was how cool. cool is that? That was cool, man. That was cool. <laughs> Going a little bit down memory lane. Yeah. That was that was that was pretty <laughs> sweet, man. That was pretty sweet. And uh yeah, I just loved loved his message there at the end. One where it's like, man, we are we are in like obviously right now you can you can see all the growth and see all the incredible stuff and you maybe can get wrapped up in it, but you got to remember too, like we are, we are in a stage right now of where we got to keep getting people excited. And you know, that's, that's a great message for not just everyone on tour, but just everyone in disc golf of like, Hey, let's just keep, keep spreading this sport around, keep telling people about it and get people out throwing the disc and then enjoying it. So that was awesome. That was, that was freaking sweet. Um, all right, let's run through the MPO side of things on USCGC. So King Climo in the booth got rave reviews from everyone that I've seen, everyone that's talked to me about the coverage. Everyone said absolutely loved it. These are some of the uh, quotes that he had. He said, I would trade all my championships for the people I've met and the places I've been. I think that's how he opened up either day one or day two, which just kind of shows you how maybe one of the more winning winningest players in disc golf history is willing to kind of give that all up for all the experiences that he was able to have on tour. Um, and then also someone did ask him about, Hey, you know, are we going to hear more from you? Cause I, obviously people want to hear more from him in the booth. He said, he's, he's most likely only going to do big events in the future he wants to travel with his family. He did enough traveling without them. Um, so he said he could end up doing two or three events a year. So I, I think we for sure see him at USDGC next year. Could we also see him at Worlds? That would be awesome, right? We could maybe see a, a King Climo at Worlds, which would be an, an incredible experience, I think. Um, so that was Climo in the booth. Let's throw this clip up. Someone uh, went back in the archives and found this clip. This was after the final round, after Kyle Klein just ended up losing um, round place, one. I'm sure that tomorrow we'll maybe see the, play it after I start yeah, talking, good side so I don't talk over it. But this is Kyle Klein playing um, his interview after he just lost the European Open by one. So maybe now we are, we are a bit sad for the second place, but I'm sure that tomorrow we will see the... the yeah. The good side of the yeah. coin. There's two more majors left in the year. I'll I'll check one of them off. It will. So he was kind of just he kind of just shrugged off the loss a little bit and stated that there's two majors left. And he's like, I'll just knock one of those off. And then he ends up doing it. That's pretty baller. <laughs> that's that's a cool clip yes. to come back to. Um but 
I said at the beginning of the show, have we been sleeping on this kid at this course? He has only finished top 10. He's played it three years, has only finished top 10, fifth, second, ninth. It's kind of a USDGC killer. I think that I think that the kind of the whole world's been sleeping on him for a little bit. He was injured in the middle of the season with some sort of injury. He missed a couple tournaments. I think but before that, back. I mean, last season, he, yeah, he had a great season last year. Um, if you watch him play, there's he doesn't have a weakness, and he's got like a under uh, kind of an underdog aura about him where he kind of slips under the radar and that he can use that to his advantage big time because everybody's talking about Ricky and this person and this person. And then all of a sudden it's just like Kyle Klein's just throwing perfect shots over and over and over again. And to like, when I do the eye test on him, he's so smooth. He might be the smoothest player in the game. And not only that, he doesn't get up and he doesn't get down when he's playing. Like, it seems like his mental game is on lock as well. So I I don't know. Before this tournament started, he was one of my favorites to win only because he was kind of trending and he, he just has, he just has that kind of game for it. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he, he was very impressive all week. And you're right. He has this, like the way I would describe it is like almost like a silent killer. He's not Mm -hmm. the guy that's going to like step up onto the tee and everyone be like, Oh my gosh. Like you just turn your head. You can't look away. He draws your attention in, but the dude is super confident what he can do. And I just think whatever he's Mm -hmm. got going on, how he plays works really well for him. And man, yeah, watching him play, it just doesn't ever seem like he's going to mess up when he's when he's on like this. And the way he attacked those holes starting the final round, even with that lead, that that made me believe like he's not afraid of the moment, right? He could have definitely played a lot a lot safer in some of these shots. Um, you know, let's talk hole five. That was the big swing, right? Hole five, you have Bradley Williams who is like pinched off by a tree hat. He knows he has to keep pushing. He throws an incredible shot to give himself a putt. And then Kyle throws this backhand that lands like four feet from the basket. Now he did get a fortunate skit because it ended up hitting and kind of not skipping OB like most shots do in five, but he's still, he's attacking the basket. He's not swinging that thing out and playing for like a 45 footer. He's going after the basket the interesting quote from this was uh, Bradley said, he goes, I think I threw my shot a bit too good. Um, I got put in a kind of an awkward situation where I needed to make that putt to keep the gap close. It ended up being a bad position to go for that putt. So he was in that like limbo land of where it's like, I'm too close to the basket not yeah. to try to make this, but by trying to make it, he ends up losing an extra stroke by going OB. Um, uh, but Hole 10, you get to hole 10, no hesitation from Kyle. Bradley plays his normal like layup playing for birdie. He's going for it. He's not changing the game plan. He's just sending it. Uh, He was seven under on hole 10 too. 
seven under. He got he got the eagle three <laughs> times. Three times. Um, I guess he probably laid up that super windy round, would be my guess, when it was crazy windy. He probably didn't go for it there and just took the birdie. But playing that whole seven under is absolutely insane. Um, and then he ends up getting to um he ends up getting to hole 16 on the T pad. He's got a seven shot lead. Now, what, when you get to hole 16, Yuli, what, what lead would you want to have to where you're like, I'm comfortable on 16. Yeah. You step up to hole 16. How many strokes do you want to have at hole 16 that you can play around with coming with 17, 18 coming up? Um, me personally, I would love to have, I feel like I'd be pretty safe with four shots, four shots. So it's like, <laughs> I can give, I can give two away on 17 or one away on 17, two away on 18 is what your kind of well, mindset is. With that mentality. I think I can, I can lay 16 up, play it for par. I can lay mm-hmm. 17 up, play it for par and then have two shots going into 18. If they go birdie birdie, that would be my, okay. That would be that would be like ideal situation. Now, how many do I want? Twelve, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> I want all of them. Um, yeah, I mean, you you step up on hole sixteen, uh, and you think like seven shot lead, it's over. But if you've ever watched this tournament, it's never over until you get off of 18's basket. Like it's it's it is never over. And Kyle ends up making it very, very interesting. He ends up making it very interesting by, uh, you know, taking, he bogeys 16. He kind of throws the same shot on 16, 18. That ended up kind of taking some strokes where I'm going OB. Bradley plays the last four holes at uh, three under par. So Brad plays the last four great. And Kyle ends up kind of putzing around, if you will, a little bit on 18. Now, I, I will give him. What were, your, what were your thoughts on his play on 18, Yuli? Because he said afterwards, once he went OB after his drive, he said, I just want my disc to get up there. And if I am going to go OB, I want to go OB far and to the right. Do you like that kind of aggressive play um, in, when you have that many strokes to play around with there? I do. I think, I think if you have that many strokes. What I would have loved to see is him just take a backhand off the tee and throw it as far as he can, whether it goes in the woods, like even throw a hyzer into the woods, because then from there you can throw another hyzer out of bounds and then just go chip chip. Like we're looking at so many strokes that that's, I I wouldn't even want to off the teeth, throw one short the farther you get up there, the easier it is to access the green and you're dealing with a lot of shots. So that that's what I would have been thinking probably. Um, but yeah, he cut rolls it out of bounds, throws the next one. OB it it wasn't, everybody's like talking about how it's a one shot. It wasn't close. Like it was not close. Like he threw it out of bounds all over the place. And then he had a hundred foot up shot and then he could lay up a 20 footer. Like the guy was in control the whole time. Um, I'm sure in his mind, he's counting it up though. He throws the first one OB throws the second one OB and he's, he's probably looking at his hands. Like, is it possible? Like, like, (laughs) what did I just do? You know, type thing. But, uh, he got the job done. I mean, he did all his work early, which is what you have to do. It seems like winners there 
do their work early. Gannon did it early. I remember watching a replay of Sexton's win. He was up like seven early. And then um, Kyle, Kyle's, Kyle, did a, he shot six under on the front nine with a spit out and a missed 25 footer on hole two or something or on hole one. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And you, you kind of, Hit the nail on the head. That middle section, hole four through 11, Kyle was 28 under par for the tournament. And then holes one through three, 12 through 18, he was one over par. So he got all his strokes right there in that middle section, just played it incredibly well. And uh, yeah, I mean, he earned it. And like we said, if you've been following him, he's been due for the like I, he sh- he was a surprise to win it but then like once i started thinking about it, i'm like I, I shouldn't be surprised that he won this tournament like the dude can ball out we've seen him ball out at other courses idlewild right he he took idlewild down in in a thrilling fashion in that playoff and then we've seen him play really well here as well so we shouldn't be surprised but i think you're right i think people have really kind of underestimated his season so far and, and how well he's played. And we have another first time major second. Yeah. Second what? at the European open too. That, that goes a long yes. ways. Yeah. I think people kind of forgot about that a little bit, but um, okay. Some interesting stats here. This was the first time ever that zero former winners were in the top 15 of the tournament. And no major winners were on league card or chase card. So it was like all kind of just wow. people that have never, never really been in a position uh, or someone that hasn't done it before. We're all in these positions. Um, you know, looking down here, you got Bradley Williams taking second, really good for him. I mean, great tournament from Brad uh, finished with a seven under final round. Isaac Robinson. There goes that man again, third place. Guy, the guy's a major killer, dude. He, if he, if it's a major, you got to watch out for Isaac Robinson shooting a, a very good 10 under round, moving up 10 spots into, into a tie for thirds place with none other than Simon Lazat, his best finish ever at this tournament. Third place, Simon Lazat, best finish. Yeah. Um, his first ever rounding top out 10. Wow. Um, rounding out the top 10, you have Calvin Heimberg. Joel Freeman, Joel Freeman kind of at the beginning, I was thinking like, wait a second, wait a second. Like, is he going to pop off here? Uh, uh-huh. He ends up kind of struggling um, after shooting 55, 54, 55, he ends up going 66, 59 on the weekend. So he really struggled on whole uh, round three when it was really windy. Um, wasn't able to kind of finish it off. Nicholas Antilla, second place finish finisher. Good finish for him in seventh. Also with the goose man, Aaron Gossage, a great finish for him. Seventh place. And then rounding it out, you have Eagle McMahon, who we've talked about his end of his season has been, I mean, I don't know if anyone has had a better end of their season as far as consistency from tournament to tournament than Eagle. And then Chris Clemens finishing up there, the top 10 Ricky just missing out on a top 10. I think he had some crazy streak going. Uh, a top tens at this tournament, um, just missing it out uh, by one stroke, finishing in a eleventh place. A um, couple things to shout out: Sullivan Tipton, 
got an ace on league card, his first ever league card at a major, got an ace on hole seven, made sports center. Shout out to Sullivan Tippin. That's 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 a pretty cool memory to have. It means 21 years old. Pretty, pretty yeah. dope. Um, David Dave Felberg, Dark Horse played with a kidney stone. I mean, did you see this photo here? Yes. I've never have you ever had a kidney stone? I've never had a kidney stone, so no. I have no idea what the pain is, but I've heard it's painful. I mean, I, I, I was in, yeah, I, I was in pain just playing that course without a kidney stone. So I can't imagine what pain he was in playing it with a kidney stone. So hopefully he's all good with that. But man, talk about talk about all these people that DNF because of oh I've got the oh yeah. The dude just played with a kidney stone. So uh <laughs> take that, take that into account. Um any news on big germ, Jeremy Coling, DNF's knee injury. You got any news of what's going on there? Is he having to do surgery? What's what's the recovery look like? I played with them um yesterday at our practice round four. Or not yes. Yeah, yesterday for the practice round for Jomez, and he seemed in good spirits. He was limping around a little bit, said it was something to do with his meniscus, that it happens from time to time, and he said after a, a week or so he should be he should be okay. Oh, nice. So no surgery. Okay, very cool. Awesome. Um Chris Dickerson does like a uh rolls his disc, like just morphs it through a tree. That was like another highlight that there was just like a like almost it it reminded me of like a dude perfect trick shot where they're throwing like the CD, uh like the game CD into yeah. like the game console and it just perfectly fits in. He throws a roller on hole eight, it just morphs right through a tree. Um, that was that was pretty nuts. Uh shout out to this guy, hole uh 15 spotter took one to the dome. I don't know if it was a deflection or whatnot. Uh, I'm going to let me see his, get, get his name, right? Uh, Allen shout out to Allen. Got some stitches here yeah. on hole 15, took one to the dome. Um, I think this is the second time it's happened. I think this happened last year as well. We might not need a spotter there or we need to like maybe put them in some sort of like, protective gear like riot gear or something because that is a very dangerous hole and um i don't know maybe maybe that's just like something that's known on the the grounds of usdgc is like if you are if you're doing the spotting on hole 15 you're like the most hardcore volunteer of all of them because uh man that that <laughs> they just send rough. all the rookie volunteers to 15 they have no idea like what they're getting work themselves into from 15 <laughs> yeah. gosh um, past five MPO winners, Kyle Klein, Isaac Robinson, Corey Ellis, Isaac Robinson, again, Gannon Burr, who wins next out of that group? Kyle Klein. All right. Kyle Klein. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Isaac Robinson. Um, but that was it. Did you have any other, uh, any other stories from the MPO side, USDGC 25th anniversary? No. Okay. We're moving on. Um, quick shout out. Last thing, USDGC quick shout to Ellie Ezra. I think I'm saying that right. 
Yuli, is that, is that correct? Eliezra? Mm-hmm. 16 years old. Watching her, I think she... I think Kristen Tatar is doing a whole lot for the game right now. I think someone like her playing can have an astronomical movement for FPO because watching her throw, you can't help but to think like, holy cow, like that could be what we see in the future. Just people ripping the disc. And, um, yeah, she's super. Holland kind of talked to her a little bit about her. Super explosive. Really cr- cool to see her. Um, she definitely struggled the final day. Had her, um, you know, she shot 63, 65, 68, and then has 74. Final round, lead card. I mean, it's not, I'm not surprised by any, by any means, but, you know, finishing top 10 at this tournament with the field that was there. I think some great things are to come from her. And Same. again, like I said, 16 years old, like crushing it the way that she does. Very exciting. Very exciting. Um, all right. Let's jump to Ricky's world rankings. Uh, this was asked by dark and stormy. He said thoughts on Ricky's top 10 players list. What would you change? Okay. So we're going to talk. We'll look at Ricky's first and then we'll, go over at what uh, UDISC has and see how close they are. So Ricky has at number one in the world, Calvin Heimberg, number two, Isaac Robinson, number three, Eagle McMahon, number four, he has himself, number five, Gannon Burr, six, Matty O, seven, Kyle Klein, eight, Bradley Williams, nine, Paul McBeth, 10, Aaron Gossage. What a... you know, looking at this list, what do you, uh, what do you, what are your thoughts here? Um, I would, I would switch Bradley Williams. I believe with, let me look, let me, give me one second. Let me make sure my, my stats are correct here. Yeah, you're good. Um, you the ones me. that the ones that aren't in the top ten that are in the top ten on UDISC, there is only one, and that is um, Simon Lazat. Simon Lazat is fourth in the world rankings on UDISC, and uh, Aaron Gossage is not in the top ten. Aaron Gossage is actually eleven, so he just has Gossage as ten, and then Simon Lazat not in there as all at all. Um, the, yeah. So the, the, I don't hate the top. I don't hate the top that, but I think the top three are pretty close to probably what I would have. I would personally knock. I would knock Matteo down. I would knock Bradley Williams out. I'd put Simon in front of Matteo. And I would then knock Gossage out and put Nicholas Antala in there. Ooh, Nicholas Antala. Interesting. Okay. Solid yeah, the performance, ne- USDGC, solid performance at the European Open. And he's the European champion. Mm-hmm. Um, he's four, He's 14th right now in UDIS, so not that yeah. far outside the top 10. Um, but That's, yes, interesting... I- 
Interesting. Uh, I, I don't, maybe he just forgot. So I feel like he maybe just forgot Simon. I feel like Simon, you have to put, yeah, I think you have to put Simon. Yeah. Um, all right. We are going to save. I said, we we're going to talk about the tour chant tour schedule. We're going to save that. We're going to keep pushing it back. Cause you know what? The tour's not happening for a while. So we can't, we're going to push yeah. the 2024 disc golf pro tour schedule back a little bit. Few more, few more things here. Crazy. This I'm calling this the crazy of the week. This was posted by Tim Morrow in the Charleston disc golf community. He said, this guy found my disc and he sent me a video of him taking a hacksaw and cutting it in half. I'll investigate and find out who he is. It will not be pleasant. Have you ever heard of a story? Of, I mean, it's one thing to like text the person to be like, Hey, is this your disc? And then be like, yes. And then you just like ghost them and you don't respond. The guy took a video of himself cutting this in half and then sent the video to the guy. I don't know what the context is. Like, did he hit his house? Like there has to be some, you can't just find a disc and do that. Right. Like there has to be something here that we're missing. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like how many people did he go out and buy a hacksaw? I feel like not that many people own a hacksaw. That's not like a common thing to have like in your garage. Could be a future tro- trophy though. I am done rating. I've, I've retired trophy rating, but. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know I mean, what to say. <laughs> I mean, shout out to Michael Johansson, though. It I looked would, like it was a uh, tour series comment. <laughs> I would tell him, uh, I would tell him, you know what? Just let it be. <laughs> that's what I would say. <laughs> let it be. Yeah, I don't know if that's someone that you want to get in, involved with. I don't exactly. know if you want to try to figure out who this person is. Uh, um, gosh. Uh, quick shout out also to Andy green. This was a story that was covered by all two yes. world. Andy green is the announcer. You have heard his voice. If you've been to USDC, you have heard his voice on hole one. He has announced over, uh, not over. This is the exact number 13,875 names. Um, and after 25 years, he has decided to end the crazy streak. That is man. He has literally called every single champion that has won. Um, and a fun little fact for maybe like in the future, if someone wants to do trivia, the last name Andy Green ever called was Joel Freeman. Fun little fact wow. there. So shout out to Andy Green for for doing that. That was, man, that's, that's a, a heck of a run. Um, all right, we got to talk about this Eagle situation. Eagle just drops in the press conference today that is on October 26, which is, you know, today's Wednesday, October 11th. He's going to be having another surgery on his labrum. So, I heard about this earlier this year. I think I mentioned it on here that something was going on. Maybe um, off season wise. Yeah. And then bam. Yeah. Good. Get, get healthy. Do what mm-hmm. you got to do. Yeah. He mentioned in it that, he feels like doing this surgery could kind of help clean some things up, make it, uh, make him able to get a little bit bigger of a, um, range of motion, which he then said, who knows, maybe next year I'll come out and throw 400 and 450 foot sidearms. So if that's the case, uh, we might be in for a long season with Eagle coming back with the power forehands. Um, all right. Disc golf pro tour championship goes down this week. 
October 12th through 15th in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's back at Nevin. It's got a record-breaking purse, $322,000. Yuli, you're playing in the tournament. Any thoughts? It's hard. It is a hard course. Let me tell you. I played yesterday uh, for the practice round with Jomez. I shot a legit 13 over par. Sound like my last round at uh, USDGC. This place is <laughs> tough, man. You know, I did the press conference today too, and they asked me like, what's the game plan? And I said, you don't have a game plan going there. You have to throw tough shots over and over and over again. And I really think that's the case there. That place is gnarly, man. I was happy that I, that I shot 13 up so that I know exactly what it's capable of, you know, going into tomorrow. I, I, I hope I can knock about 15 strokes off of my practice round, but, uh, it's tough. I mean, we're in for a treat, um, this weekend, it's going to be a battle for sure. No matter who, who wins it, they're going to earn every single dollar that they make because that, I think that's the hardest course that we play all year. Wow. Well, yeah, there was some, uh, I think it might've been Isaac or someone else mentioned that they think it might be harder than Northwood black this year because they did stretch out some of the holes. So we'll see. It's going to be a scramble fest. It's going to be who can, who can get up and down from, from really, really tough spots. So definitely check that out. That'll be on the disc golf network uh, playing for $40,000, I believe first place. All right. Joey beans. He wants to know what are your thoughts on TDs charging a high entry fee for AMs so they can increase the cash price for MPOs? That happens. I, uh, Joey Beans. I mean, I he doesn't seem like a liar. I don't know the guy, <laughs> but I'm gonna go off. Uh, I'm assuming this is the tournament that he played in. Otherwise he's just thrown out a crazy hypothetical that I've never thought about. Cause this sounds, this sounds like it would, it would cause chaos. Yeah. It sounds like chaotic, but, uh, I would say do a little research. If you're an am know what you're getting in your players pack. If you're playing for prizes, know what you're going to be playing for prizes and then make your choice from there. After that, I mean, you're, you're playing for merch essentially if you're getting payout. So that money can go wherever the tournament director wants. I believe hopefully he's paying off the costs of whatever the prize money is. That's usually what happens is, you know, you get your discs from whatever manufacturer, if you're playing for prizes or trophies or whatever, and then you distribute after that. And then sometimes they'll add cash to the open purse. But I mean, if you're not getting anything and they're just giving all your money to the pros, that sounds crazy to me. <laughs> kind of awesome. That doesn't sound like a, that sound like <laughs> but, a tournament that, for, that great for the AMs, but great for the pros, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe change divisions. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe move up a division there. Um, all facts, please. He, uh, he asks, you have discussed pace of play issues. What do you think of using electric carts to speed things up? Would it? I have a bat caddy, which is a three wheel cart with a motor that is designed for golf. It works okay for disc golf. I would love to have one designed for disc. All right. If we're talking strictly here about, you know, me just going out in a practice round or like just playing casually, 
and I have like some sort of motorized cart that I can jump on or like a little scooter. That sounds incredible. I would probably buy the crap out of that. I would love that. This <laughs> yeah. sounds terrible for the tour. And let me tell you why it's your first year playing. You're going out. Yuli's your biggest, you're, you're Yuli's biggest fan. Um, you cannot wait to watch Yuli. You get on hole one. You're staying there watching him. He throws his tee shot 500 feet down the fairway. And then all of a sudden Yuli jumps on a scooter and he's gone. And now like you just, <laughs> you just lost him. Yeah. You can't walk fast enough. It would walk. be terrible for spec. It would be terrible for spectators. Um, you get to see like one shot and then they're just gone. Um, so I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's don't, everybody's playing so fast. <laughs> I don't think that's the future of uh pro f- disc golf, but I think I could see that definitely on like casual rounds, people just zipping around on little scooters. Um, Last question here from Wes. I'm sure you all will address this, but what are the off season plans for the pod? All right, we're going to address this now. So Silas is done with school or without, with whatever he had. I think it is schooling, right? Silas, your schooling is, is Tuesday nights. That's why we're Wednesday night right now. Yep. Um, so we're, I think we're going to end up moving after January. I think we're going to end up moving to the Tuesday night slot. Uh, Yuli, I think I should hopefully be away from your golf outings and whatnot. Um, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to probably this off season, do um, a lot of interviews and have kind of like what we did with Will today, have more of the podcast based around that, bringing some people on, I talked to Nico after USDGC, who I want to say quickly, uh, obviously keep us all honest. I I love that, but I did play a full round with Nico. I did not think he played slow at all. And I told him, I, we talked a little bit about it and he, he was like, yeah, I've, I've been trying to play faster. He did not play slow at all. Like if anything, I thought he played pretty good uh, quick wise. So um, for all you guys going after him on slow play, you might need to find someone else. We might need to, we might need to target our beams somewhere else. Cause he was not a problem at USDGC, but that's the plans for this off season is Tuesdays live show, having more people come on. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, let's see here. Uh, also, some housekeeping here tour life crew has been going great. We had another member only live stream, which was awesome to kind of talk to you guys and just hang out for a little bit. The discord has also been going great. So if you haven't jumped over there, make sure you do that. The link will be all in the YouTubes if you're listening. Uh, but tour life crew has been awesome. We have a couple new captains. So shout out to our captains, Thor, Liam, Ronnie Baker, Jacob Warden, Psyduck and Jade Dudo Ward. Uh, those are our captains. Appreciate for all the support. If you guys love what we're doing here and you love the podcast, um, you can become a member. You get a bunch of perks right now. One of the biggest perks is you get to chat in the live and we get to kind of see that go on. Um, Spotify and Apple podcast listeners. We appreciate all your guys reviews. We're at 567 reviews on Spotify, 146 on Apple. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to do that. And Yuli, the email went out today for the tour life job interview. Um, 
So if you're listening and you applied and you didn't get an email, thank you so much for applying. Uh, you didn't make it to the next stage, but we're moving forward and uh, we'll, we're one step closer into potentially having some, uh, maybe another voice on here at some point. I don't know. We don't really know what that is. That job is going to entail as far as the actual podcast goes, but they are going to be doing a lot more on the social media side. So we do appreciate everyone that, uh, that applied to that. Yuli got anything else? It was a good show, man. Good show. No, man, that was awesome. I loved, uh, hearing Holland's takes and congrats to her. Having Will on was absolute pleasure kind of going down memory lane. And then, uh, yeah, I I can't wait for this week to be over. <laughs> I cannot wait, man. The tour is all yeah, USDC over. and then this right, right back to back. That is yeah. that is a treat for you. Um, I gotta get uh I gotta get up and go play tomorrow. So I'm ready for bed, buddy. Yeah, dominate. All right. Well, we thank all our guests, Holland. We thank Will. We thank Silas as always yep. behind the keys, making sure this show actually operates. The crackle hasn't come back for a while, so you know knock on wood that uh we keep going there and uh we thank all you guys for listening we'll see you guys next week